Oh, you wonderful hero. You have saved Gaul once again from the tyranny of bad cuisine. You saved Rome and the Byzantines as well, but they were less important. Yep, I'm pretty dang awesome, ain't I? Now, now to see what the people in Vinland might need from me. All I have to do is cross the ocean. Let's go. <laughs> These would-be heroes. I don't understand it. Why don't they remember? For a boat to get out to sea, you have to take off the anchor. Otherwise, it tears apart and you drown. Now, a podcast so grand. Whoa! So magnificent and so vast, it spans from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. No way! Yes way! But it starts with Phil. How do you choose the best equipment? And Mike. The one that looks the best, dude! Phil, Mike, this is really quite simple. Unless you get an A-plus on your final oral report in video game history tomorrow, I have no choice but to flunk the boat of you. Two epic airheads. Mike, we are in danger of flunking most heinously tomorrow. One time-traveling telephone booth. Uh, strange things are afoot at the Circle K. I'm here to help you with your history report. Who knew the history of video games could be such an excellent adventure? Yo, dude, I have Experience Bar. How do I get experienced? It's like when you learn stuff for a long time, you know? Oh, oh, look, Mike. Okay, let's check it out. Hey, who is this old dude? It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. Hey, excuse me, old dude. Do you know if there's any bogus bosses of historic significance here? How's it going, ugly pixelated dude? These are your hosts, Philip Willis. Those are some hot magic slinging babes. And Mike Minky. It's a gaming report, not a babe report. And all kinds of games from RPG Backtrack. You guys are really us. What game are we thinking of? Shining Force, dude! Dudes! This is Phil and Mike's Excellent RPG Backtrack. Welcome to RPG Backtrack. This is number 161, Paths of Glory. And as that voice said before, I'm Phil Willis, and this is the one, the only, Mr. Mike Minky. I'm supposed to have something clever to say here, I think, but I'm fresh out. Staring at motor pool logs all day will do that to you. Well, I'm sure Mr. Baker is back there baking up an idea of something crafty to say. Oh, don't mind me. I've got like four lessons this afternoon. I now do that's over. Well, we're here here to talk about a quintet of adventure RPG titles from the PC Golden Age of Gaming. We're going to talk about the Crest for Glory series, or I, I used to know it as Heroes Quest. Silly trademark issues. What's that? At, at least the first one. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty much the only one I played. Um, yeah, what, what was it? Milton Bradley had a board game and forced Sierra to change it. Hell it's like right. Sierra, Sierra didn't success, didn't remember to protect the trademark or something like that. They, they let it lapse by accident, never registered or something. So silly legal technicalities. We've got... Yeah, uh, similar to why it was Dragon Warrior for three games over here, or four games. Uh, it was more than that. We got like, Dragon Warrior 7 up until after that. What? Okay, five games. I mean, if we'd gotten five and six, then it would have been Dragon Warrior still. But I guess we're lucky that it wasn't besmirched that way. I don't know. Or, or we can say five games and an animated series. And whatever 
Oh, and wasn't it still Dragon Warrior for the Game Boy Color reissues? Yes, actually. Okay. When, when I, we I tracked your... But okay, wrong game series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... Okay, guys, so... Okay, so you've both played this series, at least, I hope. Well, hold on. We'll, we'll get, yeah, I'll finish up the introduction first. But yes, I, oh. I played the first one. Yeah. Uh, anywho, uh, we're gonna, so, yeah, we're gonna talk about Quest for Glory. We've got a blast from the recent past today. Uh, I've got an absolute mind-blowing major announcement to make, and so much more, and your comments, uh, and so much more here on RPG Backtrack. So, we'll take a tiny break, let's let you listen to some, I think it's 8-bit music, <laughs> and we'll be right back. Welcome to the main event where we dive into a game or a series of games and we tear it into little tiny bits and pieces for your listening pleasure. We're going to talk about the Quest for Glory series and we will start off with the first one because that's the logical thing to do. We want to talk about Quest for Glory. So you want to be a hero. This was developed and published by Sierra Online, released on MS-DOS, Amiga, NEC, PC, 9801, and Atari ST, originally on floppy disk on EGA in 1989, and then re-released in VGA format in July of 1992. Of course, us hardcore old-school gamers, we played it EGA style. This was an adventure, or is, an adventure RPG single-player experience. And, uh, yeah, yeah, this is, uh, this is, this is very, very, very cool, cool little game. Uh, but, uh, let's talk about the, let's talk about, before we talk about too much, let's talk about the story. Because it's got a story. It's got a lot of story for a game from 1989. I mean, when they made it, they actually planned out a four-game plotline in advance. Hmm. Yep. Well, I, so, I like to think that other developers have tried planning things like that, but, you know, the marketplace doesn't always agree. Yeah, I know, which is why when we get, we, which is what we'll be explaining when we actually get to the fifth game in the series, and the third mm-hmm. game. But for the first one, um, it, yeah, the first game does a really good job of balancing the silliness and the basic story and making fun of a lot of the Sierra games that came before it, especially some of the King's Quest games. Um, but... The story in this one is we have our hero who has just recently graduated from the famous adventurer's correspondence school of heroism, or adventuring, I can't remember which one it is. And so he's decided to answer the call of adventure and the help wanted ad to go save the barony of Spielberg from the curse of the witch Baba Yaga. And a naughty, naughty witch ogre she is. Oh yeah, she turned me into a frog. Oh. And then I got better, and then she tried it again. So. Did you get better again? No, no, because if, you, if you're playing it right, at the very end of the game, you have the magic mirror, and so you turn her into a frog, and she gets really pissed at you later in the series. Um, <laughs> so. That would make sense. But yeah, so, yeah, so when, you get to, when you get to Spielberg, the, 
the entire place is not in very good shape. Um, the king managed to really tick off Baba Yaga a few years ago, so she cursed his family. His son went missing a couple years ago. His daughter got kidnapped several years ago. Wait, no a princess was kidnapped? Yeah, the baron's daughter. Uh, close enough to a princess. And as we discover towards the end of the game, the princess was enchanted um, to think that she was the bandit queen of the West, and she is the one who has been holding most of the valley hostage uh, um, commercially for the last five years. Well, that's just not nice. Yeah. So, um, okay, so I guess one of the more interesting things about this game, um, the series has always been the the actual the character advancement, which I always thought was oh oh pretty oh. Wait, 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 let's well, let's not get too far from the story yet, because because we got to talk about you, the hero, a recent graduate. You, well, you, the uh, hero, are pretty much a blank slate for, but, for but, most of the game. But don't forget about the important detail here. You are a recent graduate of the famous Adventurers Correspondence School. I mean, come on, <laughs> you, yes. you learn how to adventure through a correspondence course. Oh, even better! In the fifth game, you actually get to meet the guy who ran it. Piece <laughs> uh, of work. But so yeah, so um, our hero can be a warrior, a um, a thief, or a magic user, according to whatever you decide at, at the beginning of the game, and that has some major effects on how you can play through the game, which is a really nice touch for something that was made. And what was it? 1988 was the original you said, or 1989. 1989, yeah, yeah. Because because what you got here to kind of paint the picture, you got a Sierra point and click adventure uh, game here, right? One of those dealies with where battles. what's that? With battles, yeah. With, with battles, right? But I, I, you know, it starts. That's the foundation. The first, you know, the foundation of the game. Um, and there's gonna be puzzles and stuff. You're gonna you come across like with any Sierra. Um, you know, a, a, a adventure uh, type of game where you have to use the right item at the right place. But but the classes have an impact. You see a uh, something up in a tree. You got to get. Uh, if you're a, a fighter, you you might whack the tree, I suppose, and try to shake it out. If if you're a rogue, you yeah. can climb up the tree. And well, if you're a wizard, uh, and if you're a wizard, well, I'm just painting a picture though. If you're a wizard, you know you might cast a spell and get it down for it. It's been years since I played this, so oh, yeah. I'm not gonna have to find your details down. But the, but the really cool thing was that yes, what what class you played would have uh, an impact on on how the puzzles get solved. But yeah, yeah the- uh, when I was playing through it last summer again, I just decided I was gonna play through all five games as a thief, and I, um, because of the version I was playing. Um, I didn't start with the GOG, the good old games versions at first, and so the versions I was playing had some timing issues in battle occasionally. So the original EGA Quest for Glory's um, combat was a little difficult to work with, so I ended up using a thief and just running from everything. I did not fight a single battle in that playthrough of the first game, which um, kind of bit me on, you know, yeah. It was a bit of a problem going to the second game because I had a strength stat of fifteen <laughs> going into the, which is pretty much what you start with. Yeah, out, out of like maybe a possible hundred, 50. it's not like 50. or fifty. Yeah, it's not like fifteen in Dungeons and Dragons, which is very well above average. Um, yeah. So, but but, uh, um, but yeah. So if you if you really want to, you can just stealth your way through most of the game and run when necessary and not worry. Um, like. Well, the thief, of course, master of stealth. It's actually really hard to level up stealth in the first game, but thankfully, you don't need much more than twenty 
five points in that in order to sneak by anything. Are um, there things you can steal? Does that help you level it? Uh, stealth? No, stealth, all you have to do to level up is go into stealth mode and keep walking around, and it, oh. may, it may level up. It didn't do it very well in the first game, um, but the second game in the series, like, within one day of game time, I had it up 100 points. So they, they rebalanced to that in later games. But so, for example, in order to rescue the Baron's son, you have to get this item, this cursed item from a kobold wizard who has cursed the prince and changed him into something. And so if you're a fighter, you can just kind of brave your way through the kobold's magic and just whack it over the head. If you're a wizard, you have to do a magical duel with it. And if you're a thief, you can actually just sneak right into the cave and steal it off of the kobold. Of course, you have to really run fast to get around the ogre guarding the entrance of the cave in the first place, but that's also quite possible. Because right, when you come to, as you're going from place to place, you hit the edge of one screen, another screen shows up, you're on the left side, you walk to the right side, you'll see the monsters come up, and it's pretty, it's not too, too difficult usually to, to either run around them or go back or whatever. It's even better for most fights in the game. All you have to do is type run in the middle of the battle and hit enter and you run away. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes so, you... There's only like two or three fights where you cannot run, run away. And if you're a thief, you should not be getting into those fights in the first place. <laughs> the, uh, so, to, 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 yeah, that's the, uh, so that's the other part of the game, right? Is, so there is, uh, unlike most point-and-click adventure games where 100% of the challenges for them, you know, come through the puzzles, uh, this one definitely integrates some deep RPG elements. First, as, uh, as Mike has kind of pointed out, you got the you got your skills, which are leveled up Saga Frontier style just about through use rather than just leveling up through experience points by killing stuff. If you practice... Even more purely through use, because, I mean, climbing will increase your strength it won't do it as fast as some other ways, but it will. Um, I mean, a very frequent thing to happen to me in this game, or whenever I, every time I've played the first game in the series, I accidentally get locked out of town at night, and so I just keep clicking, or you just keep typing in climb wall over and over and over again. Thankfully, if you hit the space bar, it brings back your last command until my climbing stat is high enough to get over the damn wall. Almost every single time. And, and, uh, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so, like, solving puzzles will increase your intelligence stat. Um, just running around will increase stamina. I mean, it'll, it'll also take down your total stamina, but it'll help raise your maximum um, and constitution. So there are lots of random things you can do in these games that will increase one or more of your stats at the same time. But there's All also right. quite a number of really interesting ways to die. Just, yep. Uh, and since we're, since we're talking about Thief... Have to say one of my favorite ways to die. Um, well, if you're a thief and you have the lock picks, you can type in "pick nose," and you can actually raise your lock picking st- skill stat by picking your nose. But it's possible to have a critical failure <laughs> and, and shove it all the way back through your nose. And shove it all the way up back through your sinus cavity, and you die. And that, that points to the humor in the game, which is just found throughout the entire thing. Just so many oh, yeah. funny bits in it. Yeah, uh, one of the other more common ways to die in this series is um, it is technically possible to overdose on your own healing potions. Well, that that's actually semi-realistic. If you take 100 aspirin, it will not make you 50 times better than 2 aspirin. <laughs> exactly. 
So, um, and other things like um, there's a fairy ring in one part of the forest, and you can gather the mushrooms there to sell to the apothecary for some cash. If you eat the mushrooms, you start seeing pink and purple giraffes. If you eat too many of the mushrooms, you overdose. Things like this. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, that, that also, you've mentioned a number of elements that uh, that was definitely not seen in games back in the 1980s. You have days and night cycles. You have to, you know, eat. you got to rest. Um, you know, those, uh, you know, on top of the skill system. That, that was pretty far, you know, a lot of those things were kind of ahead of their time there. I know. I mean, a lot of games did have systems where you had to eat and drink regularly, but they also tended to be really uneven in the application, Rogue. Uh, so, I mean, as far as physical needs go, Quest for Glory was pretty pretty easygoing. I mean, as long as you had something in your inventory that was edible, then if the hunger flag popped up, you would eat it automatically. Um, but also, especially in the first game, there were other options that would fill you your appetite for an entire day, like the magic fruit in the grove on the north side of the valley. So, I mean, yeah, you could starve to death, but it actually took some effort to starve to that game. I also understand that the puzzles in this game, in these games, are considerably less obtuse than most adventure games. Yeah, and a lot of that comes from having to design it with three different character classes in mind. In some cases, um, it's just some. Some of the puzzles are a bit more open, and some of them are not. I mean, like robbing people, um, like burglarizing houses. If you want to get every single point for thieves, you have to be really creative in looking for stuff in, in the handful of houses that you can break into, and also be really careful because there are there's more than one way to get caught and possibly executed. Can you fight off your poli- your uh, would be apprehenders, or are you stuck if that happens? Um, well, you're. In one case, you're burglarizing the sheriff's house, <laughs> and the sheriff's deputy is a kind of a half-ogre thing called a goon. He sleeps on the first floor, and if you walk in the wrong, wrong room, you get punched back through the door. Ow. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to be careful. Um, the first house you burglarize is actually pretty easy, as long as you remember to keep petting the cat at regular intervals so it doesn't make too much noise. Guard cat, that's interesting. Oh, no, he's, he's no guard cat. He just wants attention, and he is loud if he does not get it. Okay. Yep. Some cats are like that. Yep. So it, it's, yeah, it's entertaining. Uh, yeah, yeah. And there's, um, boy, uh, it was it was just, it, there's uh, their side quest. There's a main story. There's side quests. Lots, lots to the game. Oh, yeah. Um. All sorts of just really random things to try and do and get killed by. Yeah. Don't try the house special beer if you're at the bar. Seriously. Anything that smokes when it comes out of the tap is a bad sign. Generally, yes. I'm going to guess that you cannot raise any stat enough to be able to cope with that. No. Okay. And I see that the very first quest for glory was actually translated in Japan. Really? Really? Okay, I was not actually aware of that, but I'm not not really surprised. I mean, that was a big time for PC gaming in Japan. But none of the other Quest for Glories have been translated officially for Japan. <laughs> because right after that, you had the bubble burst, and you also had the huge thing with piracy among PC games at the time, which resulted in a lot of um, 
a lot of laws being passed, which effectively made it impossible to handle a video game rental service anymore in Japan. And they have and, and in fact, the I, books. Believe they, I believe one of the Neptunia games based a villain character off of that law. <laughs> so maybe we, one, maybe Adrian could tell us which one. <laughs> it was it had to have been re- oh I actually talked to the lady from Compile Heart who was behind that series and asked her a question about the Yellow Heart Goddess. I think it was like the second or third no the third one I guess. Which has probably been remade at least once by now. <laughs> at least once. Uh, okay, but yeah, off to that one. So, but yeah, so it's it's. The series has was originally designed with a four-part storyline. It ended up being a five-part storyline for reasons we'll get into in a little bit. But at the very end of the first game, you have broken the curse on the prince, so he's no longer fuzzy and growling at you. Um, you have broken the curse on the princess, so she is no longer convinced that she is the bandit queen of the West. Um, though she doesn't stop being the bandit queen of the West, she just no longer but she remembers that she's also got family. Um, you have managed to reflect Baba Yaga's curse back on her, so she gets turned into a frog the second time. Which she's not. She is really, really terrified about this because she flies away. And you get named the hero of Spielberg by Baron Stefan of Spielberg and the entire cast. And then um, you get to fly off into the sunset with this merchant from the far-off desert city of Shapir on his flying carpet. And head into the second game, which is where things get really fun. Where things get really fun? Not the, not the first game. This was all fun for me. Oh yeah, the first game was really was good, but the second. I mean, honestly, the second game is one of the better ones in the series, even though it, it's the only one that never got a VGA remake for some weird reason. Yeah, the first one was fun until like it, it got to okay, it got a fan VGA remake. I haven't tried that yet. First um, one was fun until I ran into the wizard mouse mouse test. Because I'm not that smart. I hated the like, wizard mouse test. What's that? Map user? Yeah, probably, yeah. Because I think that's a magic you user You don't thing. actually have to win that puzzle. You just get extra points if you do. Okay, it really felt like something I had to do for some reason. I couldn't get past it and I got pissy and left. No. <laughs> which is which is as far as Phil gets in pointing click adventure games a lot of times. Uh, yeah, it's really cool because it, bl- it had a lot of humor and it blends a lot of RPG elements. And Mike is right in that. So I I, I, I played uh, or I watched my mother play. We played together, I should say, a couple of the point and click adventure games like Leisure Suit Larry uh, and, and Disney's The Black Cauldron. Um, and, and it was really funny because back in those days you had no internet. So when you got stuck, you got stuck. Uh, we had uh, she at one point I think for one of the Leisure Suit Larry games she had sprang for the extra hint book uh, where it had the you know it would it would have like common prep places where you would get stuck and pose it like a question and you would use the red film to read the answer because the answer was all jumbled so you had mm-hmm. like this decoder with a red film so you could see the answer unfortunately Japan, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I you know back in the day, I, I didn't have that for my um, Heroes Quest game, so I must have played through it a few times. But mostly, I think I'm more of a magic user person. So I'd always pick the magic user, but eventually, I get to some part in the story where I got stuck, um, which is you know ultimately, I'm just not a huge fan of point and click adventure games because if you get to a point where the puzzle stumps you. Unless you break down and read an FAQ, which you can do nowadays. So I did read, uh, I did decide, you know, I got a hair up my rear end a couple of years ago. I was like, I'm going to go play this. And I got it on GOG. And I got to the mousetrap issue. And I even had an FAQ there helping me. 
and I just couldn't get the darn thing to work, and I don't know if it's a timing issue or what. I don't remember the quite the details, but uh, yeah, but it was really funny up until then, and it's it's a pretty cute uh, little game, and it definitely gives you this fantasy, um, more of a fantasy tale, uh, fairy fairy tale kind of um, atmosphere. First game, the first game is all about the fairy tales. The second game is all about Arabian Nights. Yeah, Big, and, and that. Oh. Yeah, the third game is pseudo African adventure. The fourth game is gothic horror, and the fifth game could have been much better done. <laughs> and and so. yeah, and uh, yeah, it was just um, uh, that was kind of cool, kind of a change. Because I played all uh, outside of the Black Cauldron, I guess. It was kind of cutesy. But played a lot of dark Dungeons & Wizardry, you know, type of thing. So to have something that was pretty lighthearted was, was kind of... Uh, oh, yeah. It was, it was completely different from any other RPG style I can think of from that time period. And, uh, yeah. But, but And the fact that it was one of these Sierra point-and-click games, but it was an RPG. I mean, the first thing that grabbed me... Uh, aside from being able to pick three cool kind of classes, but at first I thought, well, it's still a point-and-click adventure game. Maybe that's a little um, kind of like a gimmick. But then when you saw all the stats, and you're like, oh, dang, look at all these skills up. I'm going to be able to raise up with practice and stuff. Uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, so, yeah, that kind of said, okay, this isn't such a, a lightweight game anymore. But, yeah, um, I, you know, I'm looking at the screenshots, and I, I played the uh, – the 16 color version. I don't remember if they had a Tandy color version. I want to say that that's what I was using back in the day was a Tandy uh, computer, but uh, and it had its own graphics mode. But I also see some of these VGA graphics from the VGA remake. Oh man, that is sweet. That's much better. Oh, than yeah. When I was a kid, we didn't have graphics. They have like even the characters' faces pop up in their and they got detail in lots of detail in them. So that's pretty cool. We didn't have that when I let's, was a kid. Let's. Uh... Well, what did you think of the first game's battle system? Because it was kind of an over-the-shoulder thing. You had, just had to move the sword back and forth and try to hit stab. Yeah, you know, yeah, that was actually that was something else because, um, it, it, and hopefully I'm remembering the right game here. But yeah, it's where you actually saw yeah, your his body, right? Huh? You actually saw like the bat, like the camera was over his shoulder, and you see the monster in yeah. front of him, right? That's the only game in the series that actually does it that. way. Play. Yeah, um, it, the VGA remake copied off of the second game's battle system instead. Ah, so so this yeah so yeah it's your, it, this is like your first this is like your my first exposure to having like the over the the, the shoulder almost a third person perspective except you don't really see the legs and the feet it's kind of like from the waist up or something but it was person but yeah yeah it was it was really and it ran at a whopping two point three frames a second uh, during combat I swear it was because really, yeah. I, I was running yeah. on the f- that's nice. That I had timing issues with. <laughs> yeah, and I'm uh, running on eight megahertz computer. Um, I, 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 oh, I can imagine how bad this. Yeah, it was very choppy, but but you know there was so much. You know, the camera was over your shoulder looking at the creature, and there was so much detail uh, for that time in in the creature that was attacking you. Uh, that was really like the cat; his big claw would come out at you. Uh, oh, yeah. That was horrifying as a kid. I mean, just just <laughs> that was cool. It, it, yeah, just just phenomenal what they what they did with the limited resources back then. But I was used to playing games that only ran if if you go if you're able to see like a let's play. Of the, oh, I'm gonna do one eventually. But if you see like a let's play or whatever of these things, you know, back then I, that's what you were kind of used to on the PC. I mean, I played side scroll or combat games that ran at maybe five frames a second or something like that. And you were just used to it. You well, didn't think anything I, of it. I, I remember some. I remember some games I had for 386 that were really 
low low frame rate. But then, as it turns out, they had been programmed with just the 386 in mind. So when I played it on a later computer, it's like, oh, holy crap! How is he, how are you supposed to hit anything? Time issues. Things it's like five thousand times faster. Oh. Uh, yeah. Same computer clock. But yeah. Oh. And and if you're playing, uh, if you're playing this, um, usually on GOG, if you're playing the older, I don't know about the VGA remake, but usually with the, um, they they um, they did fix the timing issues within um, the GOG versions. I mean, I, I had issues with I had issues with several of the Space Quest games as well on my old laptop, and then I um, managed to get a um, the um, the GOG version or the GOG copies of Space Quest four, five, and six last summer. And all of the timing issues that made five an impossible to finish were gone. Hmm. So, of course, the, that game also ran a lot slower than the version I had just played before that. Well, as I say, I know in in native DOS box you can usually hit, I believe it's Alt F11 and 12 to speed up and slow down the virtual computer clock speed too. So that might help if you are having problems but like you said gog usually works these things out i very rarely have issues with gog versions of games um well uh so 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 yeah let's talk about the next one in the series because we still have four more to go so you got quest for glory 2 trial by fire of course developed and published by uh sierra um and released on uh, pc dos as well as the amiga this was released in 1990 and is another adventure rpg hybrid single player unless like two of you grab the mouse at the same time and then it becomes multiplayer really quickly i don't think that's necessarily what the developers had in mind (laughs) very upfront and personal i'm gonna punch you if you don't let go of the mouse multiplayer yes yeah yeah so it adds a new depth to combat so uh why don't you talk about this one mr baker okay well one moment i've got a phone call um Okay, I'm going to pretend to talk about it. Uh, it's a Quest for Glory game. Awesome. Go out and play it. The, this, one, uh, this one does not have a VGA remake. That's uh, No, that, that's kind of sucky. Yeah. What's up with that, guys? Apparently it's the only one in this series without a VGA remake. That's just that's just unfortunate. Yeah. It should have a have a remake. Well, until he gets back. You're not back, are you, Baker? Nope, he's uh, uh, he'll be back in just a second. But one of the other things I remember from the first one, at least on the EGA versions, I do believe that a lot of those Sierra games, you would have a text parser in there. So as you mentioned before, you can hit enter and say pick your nose. And there was all kinds of like you could go around and if you no, no, sub- no. It, it wasn't just picking your nose, Phil. You're picking it with a key. Yeah, but I think you just typed in pick. I think the text parser part, you would just type in pick nose or something like that. Well, hey, if you if you only pick your nose with your finger. You're probably not going to shove it all the way up into your through your sinus cavity into your brain. That's unless you are really unlucky, and I'm sure people are like that out in the world somewhere. I don't. I'm sorry, I went on this tangent. No one wants to get There's, to match any of this. Anyways, my whole point being is that there, yeah, the, it, you know, the old school click a click. Click adventure games in case you kids don't know because you're too busy. You know, you've only, I'm not saying too busy, but you've only played the newer ones. The, who makes them nowadays? The, like the. Telltale? Telltale, thank you. Um, back in the old days, you, 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 you had to type in what you were doing more times than not. So if you wanted to open a door, you'd stand next to the door, hit enter, and then type in open door rather than click on it with a mouse or click on the little door icon or whatever. Um, it just depends okay. on the game you were playing. Um, so yeah. there was a text parser, right, in Quest for Glory 1, the EGA version, I believe. But I don't know about the yes. remake. Quest for Glory 1 and, and Quest for Glory 2 both had the text parser, but 
the VGA remake went full point and click. Full point and click. So something, uh, something to keep in mind if you're going back and uh, playing those. And, and uh, just to finish up with one real quick, uh, uh, yeah, I definitely recommend. You know, it's just a few bucks uh, to, on GOG to, to definitely uh, check it out. If nothing else, for nostalgia and see how some of the most imaginative gaming was back then. But oh, uh, even better. I mean, it's not that expensive on GOG, and it's the full set. Yeah, it's a full set, and it's just so much imagination. Like, I mean, just walking into the magic shop, just so much going on, and you can – I forget if you click on stuff or text bar stuff, whatever, but there's lots of funny little references as you talk to people and, and click on things. Uh, there seem to be an awful lot of Monty Python references for whatever reason. I can't imagine why. And you can't go wrong with Monty Python references, oh, really. I know. Uh, one of the things I really liked about Quest for Glory 2 was that the sheer number of Marx Brothers references. Well, I have no problem with Marx Brothers references either. Password is swordfish. So, like, at, at one of the first people you meet in Quest for Glory, as soon as you walk out of the inn at the front of the town, is this street vendor named Ali Chica, who is very obviously Chico Marx, and... Complete with he, bad puns? Oh, he, he does the full... Um, he, he, he tries to sell you a duck, for example. He offers <laughs> you a duck, and so if you ask about duck, he goes into this full business spiel about how, how you, it's really good if you have a duck. It's like, imagine, imagine you're trying to climb a mountain. You get to the top of the mountain, and you can, cannot get down. But you have a duck. You cannot get down off a mountain, but you can get down a duck. Not down off a duck. I mean, just all sorts of really random things. You cannot actually buy a duck, unfortunately. Um, but Aww. Can you there, steal there a duck? There are just random things. Um, when, um, like a, later on, when, um, when the story really starts to get moving early, um, later on in the game, Ali Chica's stall gets burned up. He gets attacked by fire elemental, and the next day he's giving a fire sale. <laughs> he's he is selling the burned bits of his stall as authentic souvenirs, which they are in a sense. Yeah. And I mean, other things. Um, you could be wandering around the um, You could be wandering around the streets of the city and randomly see Harpo marks cross the screen, going. Burr, 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 burr. And, yeah, to, to really make Harpo come across, you kind of need good graphics. <laughs> oh, it actually works quite well in EGA, strangely enough. Okay. And, of course, um, there's the, the intrepid entrepreneur who sells you a riding Saurus to get it through the desert. <laughs> Honest Ali Fakir, a.k.a. Groucho. There's no character called Rufus T. Firefly anywhere in the series, right? <laughs> no, no, but, but, yeah, anybody named Honest Ali Fakir... Yep. Is, uh, um, yeah. All right. So yeah. we're we're in Arabia now. Yes. And so yeah. So this game is a lot more structured than the first game. In the first game, you just had to wander around a lot, find different spots, and figure out how to work with it. But um, the second game actually has a detailed timeline, and so at a certain um, on certain days things will happen. Um, so. And building up to the invasion of the um, the elemental spirits into the city as they try to destroy it, and you have to figure out how you have like three or four de- um, three days or so in game to figure out how to get rid of each one. Or the game. T- how much time does that translate into for the player? Quite a bit, actually. I mean, you'd have okay. to just you just have to walk away and make yourself a sandwich, and ha- then have a five course dinner in order to run out of time on any given assignment. Okay. Yeah. I'm just trying to strike down anybody who might say, oh, no, but I hate time limits. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing like that. So you're not really feeling pressured by the clock. No, you're not. 
not at all. Um, but it's just it's a fairly stronger narrative kind of feel to it. Just this, 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 and this. But there are, are there's a lot of stuff, or there are some things to go out into the desert to look for. But most of the action takes place in the first city of the game. It's also really easy to get lost in the first city of the game um, because, I mean, the very first thing you have to do is you have to find the money changer to get all of your um, Spielbergian gold coins changed into Shapirian coins. And you cannot buy anything until you do. And you have to ask around for directions to get to this place, and you have to actually be um, remembered to look at street sign to read which street you're on at any given time, and pro- probably you're going to have to map it out by hand as well. That sounds like fun. Yeah, but as soon as as soon as soon you, you've got your money changed and you can manage to get your way back to Ali Chica's stall, you can buy a map. Are, are you ripped off by the money changer? <laughs> no, not too badly. Okay, that's, she, that's um, a pleasant change also, from the rule. Um, she's also the fence for the thief. Cool. Yeah. Since, you... um, since Shapir is vaguely pseudo-Arabian, pseudo-Muslim, they do not have a thieves' guild in the city, which also means if you get caught stealing anything in the city, you're in big trouble. You're going to get your hand cut off. <laughs> At least. Um, so, again, um, there's two, actually technically three spots that you can burglarize in um, this game. Two of them in the first city. The third one is in the last, second city. And so, for the first one, you... Um, you sneak in while the bro- um, these three brothers are out. Two of them are drinking. Um, and so you have to go through the cupboards. You have to look, check under the rug to find the secret chest and things like this. And you also have to put things back really fast and jump in the, the wardrobe whenever one of the brothers comes back. <laughs> so the first one is so drunk, he doesn't really notice anything as long as he doesn't trip over the rug if you got rolled up. The second one is a little more... Uh, aware of his surroundings, but is still pretty easy to fool. The third one, the third brother, is a city guard, and he's not drunk at all, so you had better get everything cleaned up before he arrives. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be taking off yep. sober city guards. <laughs> yep, yep. And then the second the second job is to steal something from the blacksmith, and the blacksmith's a real jerk, so there's no problems here. Um, but his so choice... So even if you got caught, everybody else in the town would agree he deserved it? Oh, you get executed anyway. Oh, but, dang it. But, but the problem is is that his chest is hidden under his anvil, and even if you really oil that thing up really well, it you need a certain level of strength to push it aside fast enough that you can get in, get out before the guards catch you. And this is where my issues with the first game came back to bite me on the butt, because I said I had about 15 strength going into the second game, and you need about 30 to 40 in order to push that anvil. Uh-oh. Are you but, able to get that to get any more strength in time to do it, or are you kind of oh stuck? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, there's no time limit on burglarizing the Smith's place as long as you do it before day 20, which is when you leave the city. Um, but, so, if you go to the Adventurer's Guild in Shapir, there's this kind of Zulu-Masai hybrid lady. Um, she's the head warrior there. And you can just practice against her as much as you want or as long as you can before you collapse from exhaustion. And it's probably one of the better things that they did in this game because it allows you to practice the new battle system and raise weapons proficiency and strength really fast without actually being in danger of dying. That's rather important. 
Yeah. But, oh yeah, so the battle system in this game, it works off of the numeric pad, basically. Like, up, down, left, right buttons. And so it lets you dodge backwards, it lets you crouch, it lets you block or parry or attack. And... Um, how, how precise do you have to be with it? Is like, what is the, the timing requirement here? It is not an action RPG. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, most enemies... Actually, all the enemies will have different animations to show that they are getting ready to attack within the next five seconds. And as long and if you hit the right button in time, you can dodge it or block it. Okay, so very forgiving. Yes, much which considering you're using a keyboard, I've never yeah. thought using a keyboard for action things was particularly easy. Well, back yeah. in back in the DOS days with two point five frames a second, it wasn't a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's just it's the numeric pad. It it works really well. It's honestly, I think um, this particular battle setup was the best done in the series. Um, they reused it for the Quest for Glory One VGA remake, and uh, one of the um, one of the um, homage games that was made in the last two years in this style also uses that particular battle system very well. Yeah, I, yeah. The, in the first game, it was just using directional arrow keys to do different types of sword swipes and raise your shield. Yeah, magic spells were real fun because I think I actually didn't. I actually have to type like it, I had to pr- bring up the text parser or type in cast magic missile or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it. They worked on that quite a bit in for the later games. It works a lot better. You don't have to worry about typos. Yeah, <laughs> typos. Whoops, that spell fizzled. <laughs> yep. But, oh, I yeah, tried to so, cast fur. It didn't work. Yep. So, but yeah. So, in Quest for Glory two, you actually have some chance for upgrades. Like you can, um, you have a chance if you're if you can use any kind of magic, you have the chance to take a test at the Wizards Institute of Te- of Technology. It's an MIT joke. Um, and upgrade it to Wizard. You do not have to be a magic user class in order to do this, because um, in and during character creation, you can give uh, a fighter or a thief basic magic ability, and, and as long as you have that ability, you can take the wizarding test. So I went from fighter to wizard in my, uh, the first time I played this. Um, how many decades ago? Wow, okay, uh, that long two ago. And a, two and a half? About two decades ago, yeah. So, yeah, I, I had a fighter going in, into the game. I had a wizard coming out of the game. But also, um, it's possible to qualify for paladin at the end of the game. You can't actually become a paladin during the course of the game, but all of the actions, everything that you can do in the game will um, add up like honor points. And you have, if you have above a certain amount, then you can become an actual paladin in the closing credits. And this becomes or this, um, you can be a paladin from the third game on. Yeah, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I, I don't know if we brought this point before and I just missed it, but uh, one of the trademarks about this game, right, is that you can carry your character through a save file, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you can import them. And that, that, that was kind of one of the cool things about some of the PC uh, series of the time, like the Goldbox D&D games and the such. That was one of the neat things is you could you could carry them over. And, and that was usually uh, usually brought some advantages over just creating a new character. I, I don't know what they – you yeah. would know better than anyone what the advantages um, were for bringing it from one to two. Basically, um, the, the main advantage – is that the maximum stats available from the previous game are potentially higher than the base stats that you start with for the next game. 
not necessarily higher, but potentially higher. So if I had, if I had actually started a new thief for the second game instead of importing, then I would not have been stuck with 15th strength at the beginning. I would have had like 25. So, 30. And in the yeah. case of that paladin thing you mentioned earlier, you would start off the third game with a paladin, I presume. Yeah, you could, yeah. And again, it's um, it doesn't matter what your actual class was for getting paladin. You could actually become a paladin from a magic user or a thief. Of course, you would have to kind of ignore half of the stuff the thief can do during the game. Um, but yeah. It's a coolie coolie. And just as importantly, in the third, fourth, and fifth... Uh, third and fourth game at least, you could actually lose paladin status if you did something dishonorable. <laughs> Even by accident. I, did, I, um, I remember back in, I think, 96, I was playing through Quest for Glory 4 and I lost paladin status because I forgot to do something before sunrise. Well, he's, uh-huh. like, he's like one of those uh, old school GMs that's looking for any reason to strip you of your paladin uh, credentials. Well, in this case, it's because in, in Quest for Glory 4, in order to get to get access to a certain plot-critical item, you need to bottle up some Will-O-Wisps and use them as a light source. And Will-O-Wisps are the souls of the innocent children who drowned. And if you don't release them before sunrise, like, for example, if you, just, if you head back to town and go to sleep and forget to open the jar, then the Will-O-Wisps cease to exist, and you have just murdered about six innocent souls. Ooh, this sounds like a really great idea for my Pathfinder game. <laughs> Ooh, I think see I, what you've done. I think we're gonna be te- we got a Paladin in the group. I think we're gonna have a little test here. Oh, I was wondering, like, it's hard to to like uh, run into that whole Paladin conundrum in modern day D and D Pathfinder without the player feeling like you're being a complete jerk. But that one, that one sounds creative. Oh yeah, make them go and do some atonement action. But yeah. They're- um, okay, so, but yeah, so for, okay, back to Quest for Glory 2. So you were doing things around town, you're exploring the desert a bit, and then one after another on consecutive days, or semi-consecutive days, an element, um, four different elementals will attack the city. And you have to figure out some way of subduing the elemental and, and containing it. So, for example, for the first one, the fire elemental, you have to lure it into the, um, into the alleys, using bits of incense and then you have to squirt water on it with your water um, with your water skin and then you have to convince it to get into a lamp and it works and then for the wind elemental uh, he's messing up the spot where this um, tightrope artist regularly takes challenges and um, you have to throw a lot of dirt into the middle of the wind of the wind funnel to slow it down and then you you have to uh, borrow the bellows from the smith to capture it quote unquote borrow <laughs> the smith's not very happy with you but he's not happy with anyone um, and then earth you just have to uh, um, find some way of burning it which it could be fire spell it could be you borrow the paladin's flaming sword or it could be you talk, talk to the apothecary and learn that, hey, he's got this really neat black powder mixture that goes boom if you put it in fire. And then you you sweep it up into a bag. It's kind of fun. And then the water. The water one's the most dangerous because it can actually dehydrate you. Ooh, in, in this pa- climate, powder. yeah, that's bad. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, but yeah, so after you've defeated yeah. all these, you get to go to the 
other city on the other side of the desert, which was taken over in a bloody coup the year before, and the Grand Vizier of the city is actually a mystical madman who is trying to release an ancient and really powerful genie from the ruins of an ancient city. Now, I'm seeing here that you need to talk to all the citizens in the first town before you leave, or else you will not get a certain item that will, what, what that is will leave this you completely item? stuck. Oh, it's being cryptic. It's it's trying not to use spoilers on me. So that uh, What he's probably trying to say is that there is a particular bit of jewelry that you will get um, for being a hero. You'll get it from the, the cat people of the area. And after, I mean... Um, after the first or second, or, or I guess, I guess probably after the fourth elemental, when it's clear that you completely saved the city, any cat that you talk to, and several of them will talk to you first, will be happy about it and may mention the jewelry guy in one town. If you walk into that area, he will talk to you and he will give you a pin to prove your bona fides. So I, I guess it's probably possible to um, miss that. Not too bad to miss it. So uh, not okay. too easy to miss it. It's just it's just being it's just using language that says this is an important point. Make sure you do it because if you don't have the pin, apparently uh, you're in big big trouble. Yeah. So yeah, I mean the game um, Christopher Glory Two has some issues. Um, the map, the or I'm sure I I know in one of my notebooks I have most of the city's street plan mapped out on paper. How many pages does it take? Oh, not much. Uh, one page. Okay, just I write small, um, and once you actually have the map and you have visited several different places, you can just click the icon on the map and just do quick travel. Yay! Yeah. Well, hell, considering when this game was made, that was not a common thing. Yep. All right. I think that means it's a uh, it's Quest for Glory three that was not originally planned, right? It was supposed yeah. to go straight so into. It's yeah, when you. When you finish Quest for Glory 2, it actually gives you a um, like a little uh, ad for Quest for Glory um, Shadows of Darkness, which is the name of the fourth game. <laughs> um, but whenever when they were putting when they were trying to put this together, the developers realized that um, there may be a little bit too much of a difficulty jump between the second and third game, so they created a new third game in order to properly introduce the Paladin class, um, help give the Magician a few more um, spells, and just give you a little more of a chance to level up before getting onto the real challenge. And um, it also also gave the developers a chance to play around with all that new shiny Super VGA stuff, because it was the first Super VGA game in the series. Well, we know that the best way to raise your experience is through battle, and the best place to find battle is war. Quest for Glory 3, Wages of War, developed and published by Sierra, released on MS-DOS on August 1992. Another single-player adventure role-playing video game with VGA, Super VGA graphics. The Super is important. Super, very important. Oh, just, oh yeah. Oof. Oh, in, in many ways, it was a very pretty game, but... you. Um, you know how sometimes the developer gets a little too focused on how to make things look and something else kind of gets lost in the process? Quest um, hmm. Glory 3 has a lot of really good long shot views of a lot of spots in the game. Not so many good close-up stuff and not so many, not as many good puzzles. 
very little for you to do if you're a thief, especially since in this particular part of the setting, thieves and magic users are practically... Um, I mean, magic users are barely tolerated, and thieves are executed on sight. Ooh. So, so, they do so does that mean you can... Nearly can... enough with this. They really Does that don't. mean you can attempt to steal and get executed immediately, or there just simply aren't many attempts to steal? There aren't that many attempts to steal. Actually, no, you don't get executed in this game. You get banished. You get shunned, which is actually worse. Um, at the beginning of the game, you um, you witness somebody, a thief, who's moving through, and he's got stuck in the city because of the war, and he gets caught stealing something, and he is officially named honorless, which is to say he, he is a non-entity in the city. People do not talk to him. People do not look at him. People do not do anything with him. <laughs> so part of your honorable thing for this game is you you give him food on a regular basis because um, nobody else is willing to talk to this guy. And even you have to do it at night when nobody's looking. That's actually, that's actually a pretty good idea. I like that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there are a lot of lost opportunities in this game. For example, um, okay, so the entire plot of this game, you have three major groups in this area. First, you have the the lion people who live in what is essentially fake Egypt city, uh, <laughs> worshiping Bastet, and, and they're the big civilizing influence. Then out on the out on the grasslands, you have a group of people that is like s- s- two parts Maasai to one part Zulu in culture type. Okay. I guess, and then out in the fo- in, out in the jungle, you have, have the shape shifting jaguar people. So the jaguars are all the big magic users. The grassland people hate magic. The lion uh, the lion people tolerate magic, but only in certain areas. And unfortunately, somebody has stolen the the uh, sacred spear of the grasslands people, and stolen the magic drum of the jungle people. And then made sure that the opposing side found the item first. In such a way so what that... Can, what else can go wrong with that? Are, yeah. And in such a way that both sides are completely convinced the other side is out to kill them. Oh, dear. Yeah. And so the first half of the game is you trying to get both sides of this, um, of this conflict to meet in the Lion's City in order to have some sort of dialogue, at which point a demon... Um, uses a control spell to uh, basically cause the double assassination of both leaders <laughs> by each other's hand. Ooh, that's that's gonna set up some war. <laughs> yep. And then quick cut, and then suddenly you're outside the city. And hmm. I'm thinking, you know what? They could have had an entire section in there where you had to use different ways of getting your butt out of town. So yeah, a town where. People are trying about to tear each other's throats out. Oh no, they're not about to tear each other's throats out. Um, the lions are preparing for war, and they close up the city gates and don't let anybody out. Oh, okay. And but your best chance of stopping the demon who is influencing everybody into being murderous is to get out of town as fast as possible. Yeah, that's a good scenario. Yeah, but again, they don't do as much with it as they could. Oh. Yeah, I mean it is very. This is very much an in-between game. It's um, actually, I think in in the review I wrote, I made references to the Empire Strikes Back and Temple of Doom. One of those is more beloved than the other, <laughs> but, 
but there's but there are both cases where you have a story that is coming from somewhere and needs to go somewhere and does not always hit all the right notes along the way. So fair enough. Fine. And that's definitely Quest for Glory three. Well, okay, um, you, you can be a paladin now. Yep. And they changed they changed the animation a bit for the battle system. It's very similar to the one from Quest for Glory two, but it looks more like an animated portrait now instead of game sprites. And it suffered from timing issues. So, yeah. Unfortunately, also when you run away in this game, it takes a random number of screens across the through the jungle or the savanna in order to successfully escape. And so that could be three screens. It could be thirty screens. Are there uh, any obstacles that you will automatically stop at, or do you just no. keep going? It just keeps going and going and going and going and going. Because this game also used a um, also used a um, a region map, an, o- an overworld map for the first time in the series. So all the Savannah stuff really was kind of infinite in any direction as long as something was chasing you. As soon as the monster had stopped chasing you, you could just walk off the side of the map and you'd be back at the overworld. Hmm. I'm looking at a screen of the combat. It doesn't look pretty. <laughs> yeah. As I said, I really preferred Quest for Glory 2's combat system a lot. Eh, unfortunate. Still, we, we are more or less saying this is a disappointment, not a disaster. Right, yeah. And um, it also ends on a really, really abrupt note. <laughs> um, it's like the first game, you ended up with a big celebration, everybody's cheering you on, and you get to fly away in the flying carpet. Second game, it ends with a big celebration with several people standing up and saying what a great guy you are and you are officially adopted by the Sultan. The third game, there's there's kind of a flash of light and you fly up in the air and poof, you're gone. Because somebody has just magically abducted you. And that's it. Uh Uh-huh. That's um, just a little lacking. Yeah. Yeah, really lacking. But then that's where we get to Quest for Glory for Shadows of Darkness, published, um, what, one or two years after this one, Phil? Quest for Glory, Shadows of Darkness is developed and published by Sierra, big surprise. Brought to you on MS-DOS and Windows. What is that, Windows 3.1? <laughs> I think it is Windows <laughs> 3.1. That's the version I had on CD yeah. with the voice actor. Oh, yes. with the voice actor, yeah. Released uh, March of 1994 for the floppy version, or you had to wait a few more months to September for the CD version with voice. This is an action, adventure, game, role-playing, side whatever. Single-player doohickey. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, Quest for Glory 4 starts off with you popping out of nowhere into the middle of a cave that had been, that has, well, it, the cave has been remodeled a bit, has been decorated a bit. The decorator was a fan of Geiger. Oh, because dear. Shadows of Darkness combines several elements of Gothic horror and Cthulhu mythos. Well, you don't see that too much even in games now. <laughs> yeah. And so... Yeah, so you are now in Moldavia, um, the very, very, it's not Transylvania, honestly, section of the world. And this game is considered one of the real highlights of the series because it's um, it's very, sim- um, the layout is very similar to the first game where you have this valley and you have all the different places you can go. The graphics look much nicer than Quest for Glory 3 because it's much more, a lot more close-up stuff. Um, it just it works better with the the entire adventure model. 
The battle system looks... Okay, the battle system is... How can I say this? It looks like a Tales game in many ways, because it's a side view. <laughs> it's a side view. You Again, you use the, um, the touchpad to direct your guy, so you can lunge, you can do jump attacks, you can fire fireballs. And again, it's got massive timing issues if you're not playing a GOG version, which is why um, last time I played it, I kind of set it to automatic battle for a while, much like Tails, um, and did much better <laughs> um, after that. Yeah, But, so, in, mul- um, in this scenic, quaint little valley, um, I think you've got more un- varieties of undead in this one game than any other, or than the entire rest of the series combined. Um, With the setting, that kind of fits. Yeah. Um, I mean, your love... Um, see, the hero has a kind of love interest. This does not turn out well, obviously. This is it's kind of fun there. Um, is, is she undead? Is she... Uh... She's the queen of the vampires. Ooh... <laughs> And yep. you don't notice this at first. Yeah, actually, it's pretty obvious something's wrong with her at the very beginning, um, if you pay attention, but um, yeah, yeah it, it gets fun. Also, as it turns out, she is the she is the master of the villain from Quest for Glory 2. Let's see, that was the guy who was uh, trying to bring the evil djinn out. Yes. And now he's a vampire, too, because you managed to successfully kill him at the end of Quest for Glory 1, and he rose from the dead almost immediately. And he was rather ticked off to find that he was once again, or not exactly alive, but now completely beholden to this crazy foreign woman on the other side of the continent. <laughs> because he, he, he is an absolute misogynist, and his, a major part of his, or his major part of the plot is setting you up to kill his master. So at one point you actually have the opportunity to put a stake through this lady's heart, and if you do it, it's a massive game over because there's nothing to stop Cthulhu from rising up out of the mountain this time. That's a pretty creative game over. But, um, so yeah, but throughout this battle you've got all these really interesting types. You've got a a Dr. Frankenstein um, copy who is actually supposedly the, like, something or other great-great-great-great-grandfather of Dr. Brain. If you ever played the Dr. Brain games from Sierra? I didn't. Did you, Phil? Nope. No? Island of Dr. Brain, Castle of Dr. Brain, Lost Mine of Dr. Brain, never played any of those? Too bad. This guy is a perfect parody. Um, So you you have the mad doctor, you've got the vampire up in the um, up in the castle. You've got werewolves? Cthulhu sleeping under the mountain. You've got Baba Yaga hiding out in one corner of the valley, and she is really ticked off about the whole frog thing. She's still, still. a frog, right? Oh, no, she changed herself back pretty soon afterwards, but she was okay. really embarrassed. And as it turns out, um, sometime during the third game, um, sometime in that chronology, there was a wandering gnomish jester who was making frog jokes about her, and she happened Ooh. to be in the audience, so she magically stole his sense of humor. So, <laughs> in the end, there's this gnomish jester telling the worst possible jokes you can imagine because he's desperately trying to make somebody laugh and he can't make anybody laugh. So one of the quests quests in this game is to do a favor for Baba Yaga so that she will fix the curse on, on the jester. And in return, the jester will teach you the funniest joke in the world. 
does it work like in that skit where it kills everybody from laughing too hard? No, but at the climactic point of the game where the evil um, former Grand Vizier is attempting to wake up the not really Cthulhu, but really, yeah, he's Cthulhu guy, um, you need to create an opening so that you can kill him in one way or the other. So you tell him this, this joke. And he can't stop laughing for a short period of time, and that's when you kill him somehow. <laughs> okay, that's, have, that's pretty good. <laughs> yes, you have to have the joke in order to win the game. <laughs> I like that. I mean, it, it doesn't matter if you throw a spear through his chest, if you jump on him from behind and stake him, or if you blast him with a fireball, you have to have the joke. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 I almost forgot... Quest for Glory 3, how to beat the final boss, the final bad guy, if you're a magician, if you're a wizard. In that game, you have to make yourself a magic staff, and the game even um, tells you that there's so much magic bound into one of these things that you have to be really careful not to set them all off at once. So, at the end of Quest for Glory 3, in the final, final showdown, the evil demon sorcerer uses telekinesis to steal your magic staff. All you have to do is cast Dispel on the staff, and it will it'll self-destruct. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so Quest for Glory 4, high point of the series. This is this is even before we get into the voice acting which is ridiculously awesome. I mean, they've got they got John Reese Davies doing the narrator. <laughs> I like that. Yes. Um and um that's just one thing and like all of the all of the voice acting is just very spot on for characterization. It's you really have to play this. It's, it's really good. Considering when this was made, that's pretty damn impressive. Yeah. Unfortunately, and... and oh, I've, I've got like 25 minutes before I have to... Uh, oh, crud. Okay. ...get to work. So, let's continue on to less impressive part of the series, number five. Quest of Glory 5 Dragonfire, developed by Yosemite Entertainment... See, this is where, you know, it gets... You know, it jumps the shark. Because it wasn't Sierra. Published by Sierra FX, this was released on Windows and Macintosh in 1998. An action RPG single-player experience. And the first thing that jumps out at me is the box art. It's got this kind of realistic-looking Terminator man face with a sword in front of it. I mean, this was a series... I mean, I played the first game. It was so much fun. It was funny. It was cartoony. What's up with this serious-looking dude here? What's happened to my series? Also, why did it take five years between games? This, yeah, five years. This. Yeah, that's that's the first issue here is the fact that there was obviously some sort of internal politics going on uh, um, with Sierra and the. I mean, the entire series was the brainchild of this uh, husband and wife um, developer couple, and I know that they stuck with it through the entire thing. But the fact that it took five years to get the fifth game out speaks a lot that there must have been some issues because um, I'm. I mean, if you look at the same time period, a lot of series, major series, went through weird diversions. This is at the same time, like between um, Space Quest Four and Space Quest Six. Space Quest Six. Oh, don't even get me started on that one. Um, so, one. Um, so, Quest for Glory Five is where the series was always supposed to end up in a kind of pseudo Hellenic setting, where the king has just been assassinated, and according to ancient tradition, they have to get a group of warriors together to go through some, um, basically go through a shortened version of the tr- of the labors of Hercules in order to prove themselves strong enough, 
wise enough and courageous enough to be the new king. And at the end of Quest for Glory 4, um, the hero's old wizard friend Erasmus from the very first game teleports him out of Castle Borgov um, in Quest for Glory 4 to bring him to Silmaria to be the spoiler in this competition. Because Erasmus and other old friend Rakish the Paladin from Quest for Glory 2 and 3 thinks that something smells really rotten in the state of Silmaria. <laughs> and, and you're the only guy they can trust to try and pull, um, try to uh, figure out what's going on. Well, you've got a lot of history with it by now. Yep. yep. And well, that's part of the problem is like 60% of the speaking of the named cast of characters in this game or more than that, are just random people from earlier games in the series. I mean, um, the Baron's daughter from the first game, she's one of the com- she's one of the competitors. As I said, she never stopped being the bandit queen of the West. She just decided to move out of move away from Spielberg because her big brother was being insufferable. And she brought her friend, the Minotaur, who you could fight in the first game. She brought him in, and he's running the guild hall now in Silmaria because nobody else wanted to. Um, okay. The guy who's running bank in Silmaria actually was this panhandling beggar from the first game. Huh. I mean, there there are a lot of minor and major plot points in Dragon in Quest for Glory 5 that don't make sense unless you have played the previous games. Silmaria must be very welcoming to immigrants. Yeah. Oh, I mean, most of the population has fled because there's the impending invasion of a mercenary army. So, That'd yeah. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so one one of the biggest differences between this game and the others is that this one is kind of RPG first and adventure second, in many ways. So um, you have more choice of equipment that will change your stats, um, and you can um, you can do things like um, oh well, how how to say this? There is no transition to a battle screen. Instead, okay. you click on enemies and you will attack them, or you can use the keyboard. Except the keyboard sucks. Um, for example, pressing up will make you go forward. Pressing down will make you go backward. Left and right will make you turn in place. There is no way to move fast enough to actually maneuver like this. Ooh, tank controls. The best when you're, you know, playing yes. uh, kind of an action-y, uh, reflex-based uh, fighting system. Yes. And this game also has the same issue that Quest for Glory 3 had, where the camera is very zoomed out most of the time. So your character on screen is maybe an inch tall, as are most of the other monsters or enemies on screen, <laughs> in not very good 3D. That's kind of a that's kind of a shame, given that the first game felt ahead of its time with its over-the-shoulder, detailed, large sprite graphics. Yep. So, um, yeah. Oh, what um, what was the uh, uh, what score did I give this thing? Because it was pretty. Pretty low, I think. Let me dig. Oh, you can probably find it faster than I can. Quest for Glory 5. Yeah, I gave it a 2.5. Which, for this series, that's saying something. This is not a series that generally gets that kind of score. Yeah. And instead of all the really nice portrait art that you had in some of the previous games, I mean, even Quest for Glory 3 had some pretty good stuff, including a a Sanford and Son parody. That was fun. Um, (laughs) uh, Dragonfire has these little bobbleheads. In this, on the side of the screen that sometimes move appropriately when they're talking, sometimes don't, but they look like plastic bobbleheads. And again, got 
generally the voice acting is pretty good, but the few characters that actually come over from Quest for Glory 4 don't have the same voice actors, unfortunately. I can understand that, given how long it was between games, but that's still unfortunate. Uh, But fortunately for that, those characters don't make much of an appearance. So That's, yeah, that's uh, kind of a backhanded compliment, but... Yeah. So, and again, I played through this as a thief, and so it's an so we have some new options for Thief. You can actually pickpocket people in this game. You have a very lousy success rate <laughs> and, a very, and a very high chance of getting arrested. So, I mean, I had to practice on the practice dummy in the Thieves Guild for days before I could successfully steal something from somebody. Not was, that just, was that just a fluke, or were you able to do it consistently from that point? Um, semi-consistently. I was much better off at cautioning people over the head with a blackjack, which is the next thing that you can do as a thief now. That's not but, what I traditionally associate with thieves. That's what you do if you're mugger. <laughs> well, yeah, close enough. Um, but yeah, so there, uh, um, there is one um, one of the trials in the game. You have to infiltrate a mercenary fortress on one of the outer aisle, one of the outer aisles, and, and um, this is one of the few times where you really have to use the PC controls because the click controls will often take you out into a spot where you will get spotted, if you're, even if you're doing stealth. Uh-oh. So, but if you can work your way around the cliff without being seen by the front sentries, you can bla- um, manage to blackjack all of the sentries at the base of the stairs, climb up through the sewer pipe, and then, I'm serious, knock out every single guard on the walls. But how many, how many as are there? As, you knock down, as soon as you knock out one specific guard on the far side... This triggers the boss battles. Ooh. And there is no, no way to get sneak your way out of those boss battles in this game. So you better be ready for them. Yes. And, um, I mean, the boss battles are interesting enough. I mean, the first part one in this scenario is a centaur wizard who will teleport back and forth between two spots that are kind of hard to reach. So what you end up doing is you end up running back, uh, back the way you came, down the stairs to the... Um, to the storage area, um, the big open area in between the two spots where he appears, and you just start picking up throwing spears and just hitting him with these spears as much as you can. And then once he's dead, the general shows up. So, um, in in a previous Quest for Glory game, you might have been able to sneak into the general's uh, quarters and and assassinate him. You can't do that in this one. You you have to get a straight fight, yay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... this happens on multiple occasions where there is a boss battle, and it is a, a real RPG-style boss battle in some way, even if you get help on at least one of them, or two or three of them. And you still... I mean, there is no way around except fighting. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, there's other things like Dragonfire gives you the sw- um, ability to swim, but then it only gives you one real um, quest that involves swimming. No shortcuts involving swimming at all? No shortcuts involving swimming. No secret areas involving swimming. I mean, some monsters you can fight while swimming. It's, you, that's horrible. But, that's... You're likely, 
but you're likely to run out of air unless you have a specific item that you get from one of the later trials. That, that's that's one of my pet peeves, even with like Pathfinder, but any RPG. There's a number of old RPGs that would have all these different skills, like swim and climb and the such. If you don't use it, as for you know, to, to help, I don't want it required because if that means if I don't take it, I, I can't complete the game. That that's kind of silly. But the other extreme of that is you don't use it at all. Yeah, like Mike said, why wouldn't that be used for some secrets or something or some side quest? You know, make the game more interesting. Yeah, you can you can. Uh... Um, at character creation, you can put a lot of points into swimming, which I, I actually recommend. But you can um, you can also get 100 skill points in swimming just from reading books through the famous adventurers library. So, so yeah, you get to meet the famous adventurer of the famous adventurers correspondence school for heroes, and he's having a midlife crisis. Oh, well, that sounds so, exciting! So you have to help him get his groove back at one point. <laughs> so help Fe get his groove back. Yep. But yeah, so all in all, um, Dragonfire was a bit of a letdown in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, you can read through my. Um, I mean, I detailed a lot of these ways in my review, a lot of them. Uh, um, but the last thing is that the point and click interface changed a lot. So now you have look at stuff and you have interact with stuff. That's the only two um, cursor items for the point and click interface, and you toggle between them with right clicks, and. So instead, for inventory, you have the inventory screen, but you also have an inventory bar at the bottom of your screen that you can use like um, with hotkeys. So, um, okay. I mean, it's obvious they were trying to take some I, some concepts from late '90s games that they did not need to use at all. Unfortunate. <clears throat> And I'm seeing here that there was a means of uh, upping the speed on all the prior games so that you could run through the lands really, really fast, but that's not an option here. No. Oh, no, this game also had a an overworld map that it used even more extensively than Quest for Glory 3. So, yeah, there were issues. There were some minor issues, some major issues, some fun issues, some, oh, come on, please, guys, issues. <laughs> um... And generally, um, as I said, I got through the entire first game without actually fighting anything. But that is not possible with a thief in the fifth game at all. And even on missions where you are supposed to be acting stealthy. So it's the usual JRPG kind of stealth where if you fail, then you get into a fight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, like sneaking into the fortress for the almost end of the game. You can sneak around. You've actually been in there once to b- steal something, but you have to go back, and there's a lot more guards this time. You can get in about the same way, but there's one guard who, if you jump onto the roof, there's he will raise the alarm, and you have to fight through the rest, unless you uh, use the assassin dagger from a distance. And this thing has, like, a 70% chance of turning the guy into chunky salsa because it hits so hard. It also takes your honor all the way down to zero. So, or so if you're a paladin, you're in trouble. If you're a paladin, you're not going to be going this route anyway. <laughs> this is the thief route. But yeah, if you if you um, manage to hit the guy right with the assassin dagger from a distance and losing the assassin dagger, um, you're able to sneak back through, get all, uh, um, kosh a few more guards, and get all the way to the treasure room, at which point you have an obligatory boss battle. So, Ick. yeah. Obligatory boss oh. battle. Okay. So anyway, so you know what? I've got about 10 minutes here before I have to go. So let's talk much more recent games. 
Um, one of the other games I reviewed last year was Heroine's Quest. I just want to mention that because that game takes a lot of the really good stuff of stylistically from Quest for Glory 2 and Quest for Glory 1 VGA and has a lot of fun with it. So I really wish Dragonspire was more like, like this fan, this completely 100% free fan game made two years ago. It comes so. from, I want to say, uh, Czech Republic, Poland, something uh, like that? Hungary. Hungary, um, yes. Yep. The game, um, the game has English and Magyar text options. Ah, yes, Magyar, that language which is spoken by Hungarians and only Hungarians. <laughs> yep, and is completely unrelated to almost everything else in Europe, except maybe Finnish. So, maybe. <laughs> so, Finnish is kind of closely related to Estonian. <laughs> but there yeah, was a there was another game, well, the Quest for Infamy. Yeah, that's the one I finished last week. Um, that one's fun too, in a completely different way. Um, I'm I'm still I'm still finishing up the review on that one. Did you but, have um, fun with it? Yes, I did, <laughs> but it, it was not as good as Heroine's Quest in any ways. So, so Heroine's Quest again it had it had an upgraded version of the Quest for Glory two battle system, so you could do multiple kinds of physical attacks with the seven, eight, and nine buttons on your numeric pad. It had multiple you could dodge in different directions, crouch, shield, whatever. Um, it had multiple ways of getting through almost every single thing in the game using skills like herbology, fast talk, um, knife throwing, random magic spells, uh, um, and basically knowledge of animals, which could be applied to animal handling or hunting or other things. And so there were multiple ways to get through almost everything. We like that. Yeah. So, like, the very first thing that you have to do in the game, you, you've, um, you've just arrived at this very Nordic city. You've lost everything. All of your possessions got lost when a troll ambushed you with an avalanche and took your bag and left you for dead. So you have no food. The kingdom is currently in the middle of Thimble Winter, which, if you know any Norse mythology, this is not a good time of year, or a good time of eon. Um, and nobody's really able to share much food. So you, if you have if you have the animal can ability, if you're a fighter, you can grab an old spear and go boar hunting. If you... I'm not sure if you're... What you do if you're a magician, because I haven't tried the sorceress route. But if you're a thief, you can actually use... Um, you can actually fast talk the sheriff of the town into giving you some food. Or you can go into the tavern and manage to steal some food when the um, when the owner isn't looking. And if you get caught, you're in big trouble, right? If you get caught, you get put in jail in the first town. If you get caught in the second town, you get pilloried. Ooh. And, and the old librarian um, throws tomatoes at your face. And either <laughs> way, the villain succeeds and he brings Ragnarok to, the, to end the world. Um, I don't know what happens in the third town if you get caught, because I think most of, the, most of the ways you can mess up the, the third town belongs to the Dark Elves, and, and most of the ways that you can mess up a burglary in that town are immediately fatal, because the Dark Elves love booby traps. As Dark Elves are wont to, yes. Yep, yep. But this game, um, Heroine's Quest, also makes it much easier to pickpocket people. Ooh. All you have to do is be in stealth and click the hand icon. It will tell you if you succeed or not, and if you don't succeed the first time, it'll say, you better be careful and not do that again for a while. <laughs> Because if you try it a second time after failing the first time, you will get caught. 
You you have just alerted your quarry. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So you, um, on any given screen, you get one chance to succeed. If you don't succeed the first time, then you might as well just walk away, walk away and try somebody else on a different screen. But you can steal from pretty much every single person in the game. Except the final boss, because he's too busy um, trying to um, trying to Margaret. force Ragnarok to happen. Loki's not very happy about this when he hears the guy's plans, because he's like, I'm the one who's supposed to be destroying the world. But yeah. <laughs> but again, there are multiple ways of defeating the final boss, depending on what your class is. You don't actually have to fight him. You can manage to dodge his fireballs and let him think that he just vaporized you when, in fact, you just climbed up a pillar and, le- and played leapfrog from pillar to pillar and then jump on his back and stab him with a dagger coated in the venom of the snake that is constantly dripping down onto Loki and causing his eternal torment. Yeah, it's fun. So very, very venomous. <laughs> instantly fatal. <laughs> to, to Instantly fatal to frost giants. So yeah, I'm sensing that you had some fun with it. I get I that know. one a four out of five. Yes. <laughs> As for Quest for Infamy, you will be seeing that review next week. Um, suffice to say that it does some things completely differently well from Heroines Quest. It takes some different cues from different parts of the Quest for Glory series, and um, I have some interesting things to say about some of the graphical choices. So, and right. with that, I. Yeah, and with that, I really need to get going. Okay, well, because so, I've got like a twenty-minute bike ride, and then an hour to prepare classroom, and then a two-year-old doing a trial lesson. Wish me luck. Well, well, thank you for being here. Good fortune with your workday, and oh, oh, I, actually, I forgot to mention something. Uh, personal history with this game, with the series. I should have mentioned this at the very beginning. Is um, so I bought, um, actually bought the Quest for Glory collection, games one through four, from Tower Records back when I was in my first semester of college, 98. And at the time, there was a debate on RP Gamer Q&A, the Q&A column, as to whether to include the Quest for Glory games. Did you write in? I, I wrote in, I think it was to Thor Antrim, if you remember this guy. He was one of the, the earliest um, Q&A guys. And I wrote in in favor of including the series. I'm not even sure if this one is in our archives anymore. We'd well, have to dig, and our site is not very friendly when you're trying to dig for old stuff. Mm-mm. Yeah, I I tried looking once, and I think the Q and A archives quit out about around 2001, and don't provide anything earlier. So I think some of my earliest letters to Q and A under various many many different pseudonyms are probably long lost by now. You might be able to Google it. Who knows? Well, all right. Sounds like you need to get her out of here. Yep. Thank okay. You. Thank you very much, sir. Okay. Thank you, so I'll Mr. Let you guys, talk about whatever the Blast from Past games are. What are the Blast from Past <laughs> games? Well, oh well. Well, today we're talking about Divinity Original Sin. Because it's all about Vigil Sin. It's all supposed to be Lightning Returns, but we're gonna have a separate show on that soon. So we're not gonna really talk about that one. Yep. Good game I've never played. Okay, I don't feel bad about leaving you guys now. Okay. okay bye. See Ciao. Uh, thanks for being on. Ciao. So uh, yeah, it sounds like so it sounds like this would be a great series for y'all to dive into uh, the Quest for Glory series, and it's it, it's it's easy enough to pick up and play thanks to the uh, the boys and girls at GOG. It's ten dollars if you wait for a sale, you can get it for half that price or lower. And that, as he mentioned before, that that includes 
all of the games. So, and, and with FAQs especially, it's really fun just to walk through it and play these. And if you even get stuck, you can just check the FAQ and figure out what to do next if you don't want to beat your head against a wall like I tend to do with point-and-click adventure games. So, yeah. And uh, so check it out. 1,270 votes on GOG for the Quest for Glory series. Let's see, Let see what a, a Quest for Glory collection is going for on eBay right now, just in case you want something physical. Physical. Five five out uh, of five stars on GOG from 1,270 users. Uh, That's a lot of There aren't a whole lot of copies of them. Looks like uh, you'd probably be looking for 20, 25 bucks if you want the collection. Gotta have, it. gotta have gotta it. Gotta have it. Gotta have it. Gotta gotta have it in your hand. Oh yeah, and there's the anthology. How much does the anthology go for? Well, I tell you what, you could just buy the GOG version, download the uh, the install files, and burn them on a CD-ROM for a lot cheaper. And there, you have something physical with no oh, DRM. On, you know, I, you know, I'm hoping for something for some discovery like we had with uh, that Elder Scrolls spinoff. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. Well, uh, Mike, uh, I'll be right back. I'm having a little power issue here. Oh dear. Keep talking. Uh, okay. Uh, we, we were going to move on. Let's see. What was the next? I haven't played Divinity Original Sin. I am not through with the very first Final Fantasy XIII, so I'm certainly not ready to move on to Lightning Returns Final Fantasy XIII. I haven't played the Castle Doctrine, and I haven't played the IOS version of Tales of Fantasia. Although, uh, you know what? I really got in, involved with the GBA version of Tales of Fantasia, which I understand hey, is the worst version of the game. Oh, jeez. Hold but, on for a second, Mike. Uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and cut right here and save this before I lose power. On the backup battery. Okay. So, uh, and then we'll come back with the last one recent past. there. Yes, so we have returned. This is Blasphemy's Pass. Yeah, I had a... Well, the backup battery was just beeping really loud, and so I had to shut things down. Well, first I had to save, because we have we had been talking about Quest for Glory for almost two hours, and uh, I would hate to have lost all that progress. It doesn't save in real time. I actually had to stop and hit the save button, so we could have lost everything. So, sorry about rushing off there, but I uh, didn't want to lose. Lose stuff. So, yeah. Had to reboot. Weird thing. Wake up battery just starts beeping as if it's about to die. So I had to, <laughs> I had to shut it down. Give it like ten seconds to turn it back on. The beeping has stopped. Uh, eventually, these things go shot if you don't have backup batteries. Uh, it's a habit I got into in Florida is getting backup batteries because uh, in Florida we have a lot of dirty electricity, which means you have dips and valleys in the voltage, which can wear down and actually does wear down your components and your more sensitive electronics. We were going through graphics cards, motherboards uh, every year or two, so backup batteries helps to uh, to smooth out the power since your computer is mainly drawn off the battery and at the same time the battery is recharging, so it's a buffer regular surge protectors don't don't do a good enough job of regulating the power there's they they help i guess against huge spikes 
but don't stop dirty power from being dirty. It's it's too big of a filter. We just let that dirty stuff get right. So yeah. Dirty power. Just dirty. Just absolutely dirty power. But you know what isn't dirty is original sin. I mean, you think it would be. I mean, it's sin after all. But when it's original sin and it's got the word divinity in front, it, it becomes something better. Are we talking about Catholic doctrine now? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> we have turned this into a religious podcast. I'm Mother Teresa. No, no. I will be playing the Holy Spirit. Nice. That means you have to stay silent. Um, no, just, <laughs> you just move through me. Um, so, blast in the recent past section. We'd like to talk about a game that, or a couple of games, but we'll just talk about one right now uh, that came out a couple of years ago. And we're going to talk about Divinity Original Sin, developed by Larian Studio, published uh, by the same for the PC, anyways. Later on, we got a PS4 and an Xbone version of uh, published by Focus Home Interactive. Uh, this was released originally in Windows and OS X on uh, June 30th, 2014. And this is a this is a, a single player and multiplayer you know RPG. So so have you have you uh, played or heard of uh, Divinity Original Sin there, Mike? I have heard of it. I have not played it. Well, D- Divinity Original Sin really got me excited uh, because uh, when they when they talked, it kind of got me excited. I, I, at the same time, I was like, eh? because uh, it, it has the divinity the, from the Divine Divinity series. But they uh, they, uh, they it, it, I might have talked about Divinity series before, but they started out as kind of like a Diablo type of di- uh, series of games. But they quickly jumped shark and start doing other kind of weird genres like hybrid RTS uh, deals. Divinity Original Sin was yet another jump in genres. I swear this is like Final Fantasy. They just can't make up their mind. But uh, <laughs> Divinity is a turn-based, uh, isometric turn-based uh, RPG. And uh, and that kind of got me excited because their well, last... That is, def- that is definitely not Diablo. No, no, it's not Diablo, but it, it go the, the part of the promise was going back to a deep story. Uh, the Divinity games were more were more story driven than Diablo or most action RPGs. But then the offshoots that were kind of coming out later on, did, you know, felt like they really took their foot off the the pedal. Felt like it was dumbing down of the series, which is always kind of a pet peeve of mine when it comes to the direction of RPGs over the years in certain series. With Divinity Original Sin, they 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 were like, no, we're listening to you guys. Uh, you know, we're gonna go back to making a deep story. We're gonna make the combat even deeper than a typical action RPG because we're gonna go with turn based with elemental mechanics you gotta take into consideration during your fights. Uh, they did a Kickstarter and it just went, you know, gong by gangbusters. So, uh, so Divinity Original Sin, it's. Um, uh, ha- it's kind of an interesting uh, uh, plot premise. First of all, you, you, in most of these games, you either have a, a single protagonist, or maybe you have kind of the whole group that is the you know is important to the plot. But eventually, it kind of comes down to like there's usually one person you can pick out as the protagonist. But in in Divinity: Original Sin, you've actually got a customizable pair of protagonists. Uh, two source hunters, as they are called. 
And you can you can and since you're creating these characters, you can create them however you want. You can have uh, a heavy warrior and a wizard, but uh, more importantly, you can kind of uh, figure out in your head you're creating these characters. Do you want one guy to be like the good cop and the other one to be bad cop? Do you want one to be kind of sneaky and underhanded and lies all the time? Do you want the other one to tell the truth? Now, in a lot of RPGs, uh, the the you know well maybe not a lot, but in a number of RPGs, you might have reputations with various factions or with NPCs as you do nice deeds or you do bad deeds or you lie to them or tell the truth or save them or whatever. In Divinity Original Sin, you've actually got a different set of under-the-hood values for the NPCs for each one of your two main characters. So you could actually play uh, Devil's Advocate. You can try different approaches with the NPCs without worrying that it's going to tarnish your reputation and, and have to constantly reload or something just to see what would happen. So that is, uh, that is uh, an interesting uh, mechanic. Uh, but uh, you basically play uh, a couple of source hunters, uh, and and this is where the multiplayer comes into play as well, by the way. You can have a friend play the other person. Uh, you guys can split up in town. You can talk to other people. You can give them different responses. Like I said, the game's going to track your reputations and stuff individually. Or you can play both in a single-player mode. You can also just play one source hunter if you want. There's a talent that allows you uh, that you can pick that says basically you're just the only source hunter, but you get some extra bonuses to help make up with the fact that you're short a person in battle. Uh, at the start of the game, you receive... Uh, at, the sort of, at the start of the game, uh, you receive... You, I remember starting on a beach. You, uh, you, work, you, you see some people uh, under attack um, uh, by orcs and undead, and, and you get rid of them. Uh, this is where, when you first start... I mean, it kind of hits you right off the bat with, uh, with some combat. And, and and that's where the uh, the elemental stuff kind of comes into play. I'll, I'll get to that in a second, I suppose. Um, but um, uh, you'll eventually find out uh, that uh, that it was orchestrated by a sorcerer conspiracy linked to uh, a cult uh, that's uh, that's based somewhere in the forest. Uh, you'll find evidence implicating a white witch, which is supposed to be a guardian. Um, you'll eventually travel to the fairy realm of Hyberum. Um, and it just goes on and on. It has a really, really deep, um, a really deep plot. Of course, I'm kind of the worst person when it comes to describing the plots behind games. So maybe we have an RPG backtrack on this in the far future. Uh, some of our guests dive into the juicy, juicy details. But there are plenty. There's a lot of story here. There's a lot of beef uh, to get into, to dive into. There's lots of um, NPCs to talk to who will uh, ta- tell you a lot of information. There, as you're doing so, and you're looking into like the the early um, murders that are going on in the town, and you're and you're looking into this, uh, you'll be playing the role a bit of a private eye. You'll get to talk to a lot of people and make some RPG like decisions that will impact who lives, who dies, and how people react to you. So it's it is all pretty cool. Um, uh, what I am known for, of course, is my love of, of the combat systems of these. And Divinity Original Sin uh, doesn't disappoint. Eventually, you'll pick up a couple of more NPCs. So I think you have a party of four when all is said and done. Uh, and you'll want a well-grounded group of, of magic casters and frontline attackers. And maybe somebody to take care of some heating and such. Um, as you're fighting, a- a- elements play a, a big role uh, in this game. If you, um, uh, if you uh, see a, a barrel... Uh, full of oil, you can hit it with a fire spell and it will explode and do damage to everybody around them. Um, if you start rain... Um, I'm hearing I'm hearing tactical elements here. Yeah, yeah, some very good ones. Um, if, uh, if, if you start uh, a rain spell, 
uh, that anybody who was caught on fire by your earlier fireball or whatever blast will eventually be doused, so they'll stop taking fire damage. Uh, but then if you cast a lightning bolt spell while they're soaking wet, well, let's just say it gets interesting. Uh, so there's there's and and the elemental things, if I remember correctly, they're not quite limited to the wizards. Like if you're playing, if you're going for like an archer type of fighter, uh, you might get a bow skill or that that has an elemental effect, or you might pick up arrows that have elemental effect. So uh, playing these elements with each other, using them to defend yourself as well. Oh, one of the things like I remember is using water and heat. Like if the ground's wet and you hit it with a fireball, you'll get a bunch of steam, which can block line of sight. Uh, which can be very useful in certain circumstances. The battles are tough. You're not going to just click, 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 click your way through these. Uh, my wife and I played uh, played this uh, game for a number of hours, and there was a few fights, more than one fight, where we had to restart and take a different approach. You also kind of got to watch the levels of enemies, too. It's easy. It's one of those role-playing games where it's kind of easy to wander a little too far off the beaten track sometimes and uh, get yeah, caught flat. Oh out yeah, into the dirt. <laughs> right away from the beginning, it's like right outside the first town. She took a she took a west exit. I took an east east exit. Um, I, I eventually got bored of the murder investigation thing. It, it kind of was starting to feel a little bit too too much like one of those point and click adventure games where the game's expecting you to figure something out, and and I was too tired and not figuring out. I just wanted to kill crap, so I walked out the the east exit, and holy crap, there was like level five, level six wolves, and I'm still like level two, and, and that didn't. End. So yeah. But uh, but yeah, there there'll be times in combat where you have to save people and and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, the tactical combat will absolutely positively make you think and and reward you. You'll 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 feel very accomplished when you get through some of those fights. Um, alternately, should you just decide to go click click click, you will go die 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 more times than not. So you got to be careful. It pays to talk to to talk to everybody. One of the other things that kind of bothers me just what's that? Sure. Well, I was about to say that uh, my my wife's uh, my wife's over here giving me some. Uh, don't forget to mention this. One of the things uh, one of the things that that she found kind of fun, and I'm just like eh, a little bit about was you can uh, you could steal just about anything that isn't nailed down when the house owner isn't looking. So a common trick is if you're visiting somebody in their house. Uh, what if the house is looking? <laughs> yeah. Well, what you do is you go into a different room and you close the door. Breaks the line of sight, rob them blind, open up the door, wish them a nice day, you know, uh, and then uh, go and hawk all their stuff at the nearest shopkeeper. Uh, so that's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, it is. It, it ends up being kind of a major source of income, and it ends up being – it felt like necessary. I mean the game's pretty tough, and you need money to buy decent weaponry and, more importantly, a selection of skills slash spells. Uh, those guys are not cheap dates. And it really didn't ever feel like I was getting a metric ton from the monsters. It definitely, you know, just going around stealing paintings and crap seemed to pay off a lot faster. So, and as long but as they no, don't catch you me, could've, you could have spent twenty hours grinding. Yeah, well, that I don't know. I, I want to say there isn't a ton of random battle. It feels like Baldur's uh, Gate or something like that, where. Uh, the encounters feel all preset, so I, I I can't say for a fact there's no uh, respawning encounters if you go back, but it certainly didn't feel like it. Okay. So, yeah, you may not be able to just to grind up for the bunny either. Uh, one of the interesting things is there is an area I recall that you can go to, kind of an otherworld area, and it, it involves the plot somehow, but again, by that point, I, I think some of the story was just losing me. But you could you could uh, you could recruit other people's uh, party members into your party. 
like that were playing online that registered their characters. There was probably a fee involved in that. So that was kind of interesting. If somebody else had something that you felt was a better fit for your party, you could you could switch them out. Mm, the only problem was I think some of those, uh, yeah, they weren't. If they weren't named NPCs from the story, then that means you weren't going to get their witty comments. So I stuck with the NPCs I found on the way because I enjoyed the the banter. So, but overall, I mean, I really found the combat satisfying. Uh, my wife liked the story and uh, the stealing of objects. Uh, she also enjoyed the more investigative ad- adventure story elements. Um, the game does provide a good balance between the two. We just got through talking about a game that was blending um, text-based and point-and-click adventure mechanics with RPG and combat statistic mechanics. Uh, this game combines turn-based, tactical, and it's got a deep. I, I didn't even got into like the really deep skill-based, item-based system. You can craft your own gear uh, and the such. You can find um, components and put them together. Uh, the skill system is really, really deep. You could spend forever just reading through and trying out different combinations. Uh, but uh, it, it was it was a it was quite a bit of fun for for the time that we put into it, and a lot of my friends who played it absolutely adored it. Critics loved it. I think it averaged like an eighty five or an eighty seven on the critic. I gave it an RP. I think Adrian is that an Adrian review? Maybe that doesn't necessarily sound like the sort of thing he'd go. Uh, well, maybe I'm thinking Glenn Original Sin reviews. So uh, Glenn Wilson, yeah, is Glenn uh, four out of five? Says a funny strategic twist on an old battle system. Funny, punny, intelligent, creative writing, addictive, open gameplay that is hard to quit, and the orchestral music is surprisingly catchy. Uh, just two negatives: uh, inner inventory interface crafting and hoarding, and, and that's that's kind of true. I mean, we were stealing everything that wasn't tied down, but it's well, I think it was one of those games where not every where the shopkeepers don't have unlimited funds, so you can only sell some stuff, but you don't want to get rid of other stuff because you don't know if you're going to need the money later on. Now, what they will do is they will trade. So if you got you know, uh, a painting worth 5,000 gold and they got a piece of armor, you know, they're willing to part with for around the same value. You can do just do a straight up trade, but you can't, you can't unload it for 5,000 gold if they don't have 5,000 gold in their inventory. So you're hoarding crap. (laughs) Some poorly explained puzzles and quests. And that's where I was getting a little frustrated was during the murder investigation. I wasn't, this is my whole problem with point and click adventure games, but it's just like, if for some reason it doesn't connect, my brain doesn't connect with what puzzle you want me to figure out or where you want me to go next, you know, then, you know, it's just going to, you know, it's just going to fall apart and not going to be able to make any further progress. We were using a fac uh, a number of times to try to figure out what to do next. Ooh, I know that triggers your buttons. <laughs> yeah, you know how much I love diving into facts. But the combat system, like I said, was very solid. The combat system you could just think your way through. I just wish the puzzles were a little bit more like that. Um, so, yeah, make sure you bring a full party, though. Uh, he's got a screenshot here. I remember this particular boss fight, and he says... Uh, this party of two will be SOL against bosses. They won't survive this turn. So, yeah, you want to make sure you, you bring some, some NPC backup um, and cover all your major bases that you would normally want to take care of in EG. So, Divinity Original Sin, go and check that out. I believe we can get that on. Let's, let's do a price check on our good friends at GOG, where you can get the DRM version free. They listed it for uh, but they currently have it on sale for 40% off, puts it at $24. 
I mean, it's certainly worth uh, $40 brand new, but uh, since it's been out a couple of years, uh, you can wait forward, for a sale. Yeah, just wait for a sale on that one, boys and girls, unless you're just dying to support the people who made it and uh, so to encourage them to make more tactical RPGs like this. I think they're working on, in fact, yes, actually, I do remember reading that they are working on Divinity Original Sin 2. Um, so uh, that's uh, that Kickstarter was done a while ago. Pulling that up. Divinity Original Sin 2. And uh, let's see, their goals. $2 million of a $500,000 goal. So four times. <laughs> four times their goal. So I'm pretty sure they're going to be they're gonna be making that up. Jeez. So, yeah. Should have come out by now if they got that much. I know, right? Be able to get it done faster. Oh, they do those. They do those. Uh, those tiers, whereas they, you know, they get more money. They they promise more and more things. So you should be able to hire on extra staff. I know. Super voice acting. Can't remember how much. Vo- I think there was quite a bit of voice acting. So it was pretty. I- I'm not a super um, voice actor judge. Hey, and uh, Angry Joe's got a preview of a Divinity Original Sin up early alpha. So, yeah, I like Anchorage. So, anyways, that's Divinity Original Sin. That's our blast from the recent past. We're going to take a teeny tiny break. We'll come right back to wrap this up with the final app. chit-chat, we shoot the breeze, meet your news announcements, and so much more. Uh, first off, we'll let you let you know that our next show, Backtrack number 162, Do You Like This Rogue? Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of roguelike games. So, a roguelike RPD type of game. So, that's uh, that's exciting. I, 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 I do like them in theory. Practice sometimes I struggle. But, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about those. Uh, shoot. And let's take a look here. I think we had some uh, some comments about uh, Triskaphobia. Triskaidekaphobia. Triskaidekaphobia. Um, so one of the things that came up in the conversation, I won't go through uh, every comment, unfortunately. I'm, I'm starting to feel the effects of not enough sleep. But uh, there was, a, I think it was Victor, somebody brought up the point that we didn't mention the staggering enemy mechanic in combat. We had... Uh, somehow we'll overlook that one because it is an important element uh, in in combat. It lends itself to, uh, as I'm sure you could probably attest to, having played it a little bit more recently. Mike's been a couple years for me, but it kind of gives the game a rhythm and a feel. You do so much damage to a boss, this bar fills up, and once it's filled up, you stagger him, and his defenses are down, and you can just wail on him for a little bit, right? Yeah, you're supposed to use attacks that it's weak against, and that'll charge the stagger meter faster. 
and there's also the the chaining effect, which is kind of you can't really control it in a, in practice unless you uh, chaining and staggering together mean that the bosses de- or any enemy's defenses. Let's face it, once you get later in the game and regular enemies start having six digit HP counts, then you're going to be staggering them a lot. Staggering. <laughs> Or seven-digit HP, I swear. That's crazy. So, I mean, it felt like, for the, and of course, I only played the early part of the game, but okay. it felt like it lent itself it's, to, you're kind of a little more defensive balance, but when his defenses are down, uh, you can go to all offense mode. Uh, but Or the, you're supposed to, anyway. Uh, I, a couple of recent bosses I've fought, obviously I did badly because I got zero stars on them. Oh, no. Oh, no. You didn't, you didn't get good stars. What the hell, man? I, I guess I suck at this game. You're a loser. Yeah, I I didn't. It just gave me five blank spots instead of any stars because I took too damn long. Uh, you stagger the boss, you wail on it for a while, and then this particular boss, once it becomes unstaggered because as you deal damage, the stagger meter goes back down, then it gets really really mad at you for staggering it, and it heals some of its lost life, and it busts out some retribution attack. And then you just get into a rhythm of staggering it again, and it gets mad at you again and retributes and blah. And apparently I get to fight that boss again at the end of Chapter 12, where nice. I got to fight in the middle of Chapter 12, because that's just so great. Uh, and the, the chain thing, you start at 100%. As you keep attacking it, the chain goes up, and that means that your attacks, instead of doing base 1 damage, start doing multiples of that. So it, you can get it up to a max of 999%, which means that you're doing almost 10 times the damage of your normal base attacks. And so long as you can keep attacking things, it keeps going up until the stagger gauge resets, and then apparently the chain gauge also resets it. There's a lot out of your hands with this battle system. Uh, you, probably, you probably didn't get far enough to see that, hey, your characters can learn once an enemy is staggered, to launch it into the air. And well, then it can't... That sounds like fun. That sounds like Grandia. It's one of my favorite combat systems. It kind of is. Uh, it, it is nice to see that you launch an enemy into the air, and then you can whack it in the air, and while it's still airborne, it can't do anything. But you have no real control over it. <laughs> you don't choose to launch something into the air. It gets staggered. Your characters, when they attack, are going to launch it into the air. There's no option here. Mm-hmm. And then it'll eventually fall back to the ground unless you can keep it in the air, which is fine, which is totally doable because things can just uh, evade gravity for a while. Oh, and when it falls down, it will take oh, 12, maybe even 20 damage from falling to the ground. Ooh, that'll teach it. This, this from enemies that have 200, 300,000 HP. Ah, that'll teach them a lesson. It's sure like a will. S- slap on the wrist. Not even that. It's as if a gnat landed on your wrist. Oh, Oh, I, I'm looking at my. If I hadn't been looking at my wrist, I wouldn't have noticed that. What a what a shock! Uh, and, and I've come across a few instances where it really would have been nice to control all three characters rather than just give them orders and hope that they do the right thing. Because occasionally they'll just choose stupid things. And again, PC. I am astonished at how laggy I can be on this on the PC version. It's just it's sometimes faster to just let the game auto select what I'm doing because then I don't have to click a couple and then wait for it to take effect before I can click a couple more so that my entire ATB gauge is filled and I can go do something. And there's one thing that I wish I we had brought up last time because I really started wondering, is it possible to select more than one target per action t- for your turns? I don't think it is. I think you have to choose if 
no, you can't just choose to to brave someone and then face someone else in the same turn. No, you have to go back and choose your options again. You have to. There can be only one target per turn. That's that's just me, I guess. <laughs> Silly me wanting more control over my ostensibly turn-based battle system. Uh-huh. No, I uh, you know, and I I can totally uh, I can totally relate. I mean, it, it didn't. It did, obviously it was it was one of the few Final Fantasy games that didn't capture me enough for me to sit down and just want to beat it. Um, but not only that, uh, I mean, I, I go back to my Dragon Quest Four stories uh, that you know you've heard before, but maybe we got some new listeners. <laughs> uh, I originally played Dragon Quest Four when it came out on the NES. And the way that game was set up was uh, you got five chapters of the story. The first four, you play um, each of these different characters telling their story. Uh, it lasts for a couple of hours each, and that was really cool. And then you get to the fifth chapter, you're playing the main hero, and he will eventually run into all the other characters you have played to form one big adventuring party. So that sounds super awesome. You, you've seen their origin stories and, and how you know they, each one of them is facing this evil that's taken over the world. So why each character is actually motivated is established uh, as far as why they're going to join the hero and, and go on to save the world. But the but the you know as far as the combat perspective goes, the problem is once they join him in chapter five. They're AI controlled and very much like Final Fantasy 13. You can give them general strategic commands, but you can't give them specific commands. And things like elemental weaknesses really suck when your AI partner doesn't know to exploit them. So you're fighting an ice giant and he decides to cast magic missile or worse yet, ice spell instead of, you know, the obvious fire, whatever, fireball. So it's like, come on, guys, really? Really? This is what you're going to do to me? Or they'll start blowing magic points on the blue slimes in the dungeon instead of conserving them for the boss. And you can give them strategic decisions like don't use magic points or whatever, but then they just pick their nose. So, yeah, it kind of goes on and on. The, 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 it had a little bit more strategy to it because you could swap people in and out of the caravan uh, and everything but the small dungeons. But but still, it was just a, it was sad. <laughs> That's why when the DS version, had the DS port had come out, the first thing I was looking for on reviews or on the back of the box was to see if I could control the effing Barty. And thankfully, mm-hmm. you can. So I highly recommend Dragon Quest IV DS version over the original NES counterpart for that reason alone. I want to be able to control my party. So uh, Dragon Quest IX is... Uh, I'm playing that one right now, and that one's the best because you can choose to turn on and off the AI. When Actually, you can do that in a Dragon Quest IV DS as well, I believe. You can actually, if you want the convenience of... You know, it's an easy dungeon. Just want everybody to auto attack. You can do that, but you can turn it on a lot, even in the middle. Of- Convenient. Convenient. When it's your turn. Why in the world Final Fantasy Third? That's why I thought when I first started playing Thirteen, <laughs> I thought that that was like okay, they're going to auto battle, kind of like Twelve. It's a little faster, but in Twelve, I could stop at any point in time, which would I believe pause the experience, so I could give out actual. Co- no, no, you have to be super fast, and I'm not that fast. Maybe, and maybe you are. And, there, and there's one moment in the game. Actually, there are a couple of moments. One I kind of liked when uh, the Primarch Bartandalus, whatever his human name is, you're running around in the gigantic spa- flying airship of the bad guy, uh, which, of course, has terrible security. You can slaughter all of it with no trouble. And a villain is, an, is wondering, we, we just changed the code green, but now they're all over the place. Maybe we should change the code purple. What should it be? And I think they're trying to reference that Homeland Security garbage color scheme. Uh. And eventually the bad guy just says, we need the, we need the utmost versatility. Code white. <gasps> Code white. 
Wait, what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> but that was kind of funny. On the flip side, Saz's crisis that leads to his Eidolon popping out and you having the gimmick Eidolon fight for him mm-hmm. was set up really well. He's just seen his son turn to crystal in front of him. He's just learned that Vanilla has been lying to him. Uh, he's at the the greatest stress moment of his life. So, of course, having this end by him jumping onto what looks like an Indy 500 racer when his Eidolon gives up and allows him to take over. And then nobody mentions it again for a long time until another Eidolon pops out and somebody starts wondering, hey, what are these Eidolons anyway? Why do they, why do they pop out and do this? That was just terribly done. Wretched pacing. Uh, yeah, I'm in Chapter 12 right now, which after the thrill of Chapter 11 where... I got to actually wander around an area and to make up for it not being a straight path, uh, the enemies come back really, really fast. So I I hope you like that. (laughs) I hope you like getting to fight the same thing which you just fought 30 seconds ago and now it's back. (laughs) But after you get through that and you get through a couple more tube sections where well, if you scroll the camera a little too far back then it might pop up again and if you have to go back and forth then too bad for you. Uh, now I'm back. For some reason, we're invading Paul uh, Cocoon for some damn reason, and it's nice. It's pretty. It's nice to see this futuristic city being blown apart by all sorts of creatures that have come from the bottom world and are going crazy. But it's I'm ve- I'm just very bored with each fight now because you, generally they take a while and it doesn't require much from me. And of course, there's one more chapter to go, so it can only get even better from here. Yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's Final Fantasy 13. But I'm not done. Maybe it'll pick up. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Steam says I've been playing it 49 hours. The in-game clock says something like 35. That is how laggy the thing is for me. That is just insane. That is insane. Um, shoot. Uh, and playing anything a little more fun. I got Project X Zone too. I'm kind of I'm kind of liking it. Uh, I liked Project X Zone one for a while until it just kind of swamped me with a bunch of three hour battles for the last twenty or so engagements. And this one still has some of the same problems. Hey, here I am again. You beat me up four times in the past, but I'm gonna come back. And once you beat me up this time, I'll just wow, that's annoying, and run away. <laughs> but there's actually some customization options. You can give your character skills now. It matters which way you face in battle. You're usually not taking everybody out for a fight, so things go a little faster. There's some interesting goals that require you to pay t- a little more attention than time to kill everything again. And, you know, the overall plot, it's it's a dimension-crossing game. Imagine if Marvel vs. Capcom 2 had a deep, complicated plot with lots of cutscenes where everybody wondered... What are we doing here? Hey, who's that? Why am I fighting him? You get a lot of that in Project X Zone 2. But you also get a lot of amusing moments from Sega. I think Sega localized. I have to check. See, this is what happens when you don't have a box to check. (laughs) But the localization team was clearly having some fun slipping lines in that poke fun at various aspects of video gaming. Uh, And that's the other game I've been playing lately. Uh... Yeah, I think that's all I got right now, except to say go see Hail Caesar if you like the Coens. That's that's a pretty solid recommendation. Um, well, I've been uh, 
working my way slowly through some Dragon Quest. At Dragon Quest Nine, uh, it's my portable game, go-to portable game. If you follow me on Twitter, um, I've been—I uh, took a couple of days off, but I've been tweeting for a while now, like one picture a day from my adventures with some sort of um, sassy or jokey or whatever caption to go with it. So, if you want a daily laugh uh, with uh, with Dragon Quest pictures, Dragon's Nine pictures, you'll want to follow me at Twitter or go to my Twitter account, twitter.com forward slash jcservant. It's public, so you don't have to sign up with Twitter if you don't want to, just to read my Twitter feed. Um, so I did, I would do that and try and tip there was something else. But, we talked about the next show. This. Oh, and, oh, back to the, real quick, to the to the thread, the, fi- uh, the Final Fantasy thread. It, it did devolve into a conversation about wrestling. So WWE wrestling. I uh, don't know how, but I'm a fan, and apparently, uh, I believe Bunday is as well, a Budai, Budihu, uh, as well as Michael Apps. So uh, we had a little bit of a chit chat about maybe possibly having a WWE RPG but one day. We already day. knew Mr. Apps was a wrestling fan. Yeah, yeah, because he, he he's hilarious. Uh, but uh, you know what? That's what we do at RP Gary. We talk about role playing games and somehow tie that into the WWE. Uh, but if you if you want to you want to chit chat uh, that kind of stuff, you can do. You can find me at the forums. You can shoot me off an email, jcservant at cyberlightcomics.com. You can tweet me uh, at jcservant. It, it's all good. One, so I mentioned mentioned before. I have a little bit of of an announcement to make and um, big big huge actually big huge earth shattering announcement. Just Uh-oh. absolutely mind blowing. Just boom, boom. Mike doesn't even know what's coming. Yeah, he does. Um, so, because <laughs> Mike reads my Twitter, unlike the rest of you people. No, <laughs> if you read my Twitter, you already kind of know. Uh, anyways, I've started because uh, you know I don't have enough side projects yet. Um, but hey, that is why I'm called a Utah polygamist. After all, on the forums, um, because I highly stay focused on one. Uh, so, so, uh, I started a YouTube channel, uh, my, my, my brother-in-law, yeah, brother-in-law and I, uh, want to chronicle some of our experiences with gaming. He's, uh, he's a little bit younger and he favors the newer games, whereas I'm the older one who favors kind of the, the older games. And we sat down. Relatively. Relatively. Yeah. We sat, we sat down. We had. I mentioned Dungeon Quest to you, and you just said, "Nope, that's too old." That's too because <laughs> Dungeon Quest predates Ultima and Wizardry. Yeah, that's old. I think uh, I think three decades is my limit. So nineteen. I think my first game starts off at nineteen eighty five. I have a I have a soft spot for for PC uh, PC gaming. Of course, I love all all forms of gink. Don't get me wrong, but but my original experiences that really captured my imagination were back on the PC. So what I did is I sat down, I went through my PC uh, list of games, and I picked out my top uh, one hundred. And it's kind of like RPG backtrack when we talk about a, a game on the main event. Sometimes we talk about a game, and sometimes uh, we talk about a game series. Usually, like the Quest for Glory games, if the if the games are similar enough, uh, then we'll 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 usually put that into one show, but uh, if they got a lot of plot or they're very different from one another, like the Final Fantasy series, we split up into separate shows. Um, even though we would consider that one series, so my one hundred my one hundred list would end up being probably one hundred and fifty YouTube videos, and and we're calling it the Gamers Experience because it's less than a Let's Play. We're not. I'm not going to play through the entire game. I don't complete games, as you know, Mike. Very rarely, except for Dragon Quest. I am going to get through those games. Um, You're totally gonna finish Dragon Quest Seven when the chance comes. When it comes down to 3DS, I will because it ain't happening on the PlayStation. Uh, yes, it is. You know yeah. you want to. Uh, that piecing. 
garbage. So uh, so it's not it's it's not uh, it's but it's more than a review, and it's certainly not a critical. And when I say review, I'm not talking about the critical reviews you can find on YouTube all over the place. It's scary how many games are on YouTube, how many let's plays, and and boy, I tell you what, I, I pulled up a couple of really old obscure games. And looked them up on YouTube, and because my brother's like, "Well, what if we just do games nobody else has ever done?" Like, I can't find it. Any game I put in, no matter how obscure, just about, uh, except for maybe the one you recommend, but I didn't go that far back. Anything from 1985 and on that I put into the search engine, I was able to find a let's play, and more times than I was able to find some sort of of critical review. But I don't want to do critical reviews. We do that RP gamer. We play games all the way through. We give them, uh, we you know, we give them a critical uh, eye. Um, these are my experiences. It's sharing my passion, and we do this on RPG Backtrack a lot, but we share our passion, our experience of the game while talking about the elements that appeal to us and everything else and uh, and the such. So uh, I've already got the first one up, uh, number one, number 001, Y-Bar, which uh, I've talked about on here a couple of times. The original side-scrolling shoot 'em up RPG hybrid. And these aren't all RPGs, but a lot of them are because I am such a G fanboy. So, uh, yeah, and you know it's going to come up sooner or later. It's going to be the Gold Box game. So, good old, good old Dungeon Dragons. Boy, those are the days. But Wybarm is the first one. And speaking of two frames, five frames per second, or whatever. Uh, so, if you haven't checked it, if you haven't looked at Wybarm before, I think it was originally made in 1985, right at the end of the year in Japan. Came out here later on, and. Uh, and when you get in, uh, you're, you're playing the part of Eisel, who's in a mech suit, uh, kind of a mech armor that can transform into a land vehicle and into an aircraft as well as robot form for fighting. Um, aliens have been busting, have busted out all over the earth, something, something like that. Monsters, you don't care. I don't care about the story. I let it play out. There's actually an introduction when the game opens up. And, and then you run, uh, uh, you go out there to clear out the monsters while you find bits and pieces of this very shallow story. Uh, the, the 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 fun is in the gameplay when you attack an enemy, it turns into a side-scrolling um, kind of. Uh, you turn into a robot, and it's only one screen doesn't scroll. But uh, the monsters will oftentimes fire bullets at you, so it's kind of like a bullet hell shooter game. You've got three different weapons you can switch between, except it's a bullet hell that goes about three frames per second. You can, you can of course, speed up the emulation, and it will go very smoothly, but you will die very quickly because each bullet will cover quite a fair bit of distance with each frame. So you want to keep it slow on purpose um, uh, to switch through the different weapons, see what will work. As you defeat monsters, you get more ability points. And the more ability points you have, the more damage your weapon does. Weapons do. You also find weapon upgrades that will also give you another boost as you go through the game. I describe all these mechanics in details. I let you, you're going to see the game as it's being played so you get that full experience without having to figure out DOSBox yourself. This is not a, a GOG game, so in order to run it, you need to find it on an abandonware site. And then you got to configure DOSBox to run it properly. And to get the, the, the premier Wybarm experience, you need to set up DOSBox to emulate a Tandy computer. Because Tandy computers uh, had a huge advantage over the IBM computers of those days because they could play three notes at once, three musical notes at once on the synthesizer boards. Whereas the IBM computers can only do eh, 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 one note at a time. It's horrible. So the Y-Barm has excellent catchy background music that while it's on a short loop, it, it just gets it's catchy and it gets stuck in your head. I'm humming it today at work. Uh, I love it, and it's got a number of really cool little, cute little soundtracks on it. 
that that sounds awesome on a Tandy, but on IBM it's. But you can get that full experience right there by going to the Gamers Experience. Had a little bit of a technical issue. I'm debating whether or not I want to try to re-record it. But after I did all the work and posted on YouTube, my brother who's watching and pointed out that the beginning where I'm talking into the camera and I've got the webcam on is laggy. I don't know why. When the gameplay portion is going, I found this free video caption software. And for capturing game footage, it works fabulous. And there's no lag whatsoever. I would hope not two frames per second. But uh, but my voice comes in nice and clear in the whole nine yards. But for some odd reason, um, the video feed on that is a bit laggy. But that's just for a few minutes. You don't have to really watch me talk anyway, so it's not that exciting. But you do get to see the cat if you do. It's just a little laggy. So, yeah, that'll be the uh, the gamer's experience. And chances are, as I'm going through some of the RPGs, I'll probably echo, uh, give you an abbreviated version here on the RPG Backtrack. If you want the full experience, see the gameplay, get all the mechanical details, uh, and and more details about my own personal experience with these games, you want to go and check out the YouTube video. Uh, to get those links, um, I'll probably put them somewhere in the forums, but uh, again, just Twitter's the best place to keep up with all of my many, many um, hobbies. So, phew. I know you rushed and watched. Uh, actually, I'm still having troubles with Flash Player causing my computer to have blue screens, so um, it'll be a bit. <laughs> Darn blue screens. Uh, fun. <laughs> yeah. And this is just something I'm just doing when we're the hell I get around to it. Of course, with college and backtrack and everything on, I stay pretty darn busy. But the cool thing is, since I'm just talking while I'm playing a game and I tend to play on Saturday nights and Sunday nights, no matter what, it's 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 easy enough to at least get the record. And then I just slap the intro. It's kind of like the podcast. Slapping the intro and stuff like that if I don't have to be editing. To- well, the video takes forever to press, though. But it can do that in a bag while I study, so... Uh, what else is going on, man? There's just there's just been uh there's just been no end to the to the gaming news. I I just kind of given up trying to keep up with with some of it. We're just gonna keep living in the past because I keep with what's new. Um, but uh, you want to go over to rpgamer.com. We got a number of news articles that you want to go and uh, check out, including uh, some details about Dragon Quest Heroes Two. And I've talked about Dragon Quest Heroes or I got that on the PlayStation. Or a very very beautiful beat em up featuring your favorite uh, Dragon Quest games in the mold of what the Samurai Warriors uh, series, Dynasty Warriors series but with Dragon Quest heroes and a bit of a defensive tower element to it so yeah you can get that that first game I think is like 20-30 bucks or something like that but yes they're already in on a second one and you can expect that one out soon of course uh, if you're into Fire Emblem we we, we got some information on recent release did we get a we already get a review out or are we still I think we're still working we, on that. We do right? not have reviews. Actually, we're going to try and have a review out for both the Bloodline and the Conquest versions. And, and I'll tell you... I, I, and, I, I, and I have the Conquest version, but I cannot play it until Project X Zone 2 is done. That's right. But And I'll tell you, boys and girls, I'm seeing a lot of... Of course, as soon as the games, these games come out, I see a lot of early reviews. But ask yourself, how many of those games... I mean, how many of those people play those games to complete? Not that many, I'll tell you. So uh, that's why you can trust RP Gamers Review, because we torture our review staff in the game to the very end. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it be nice if I could review Final Fantasy Thirteen right now, but I can't. I've got to finish the stupid thing. That's right. You must experience the full torture. Uh, so that I can maybe get an achievement for getting five stars in the last battle. Yeah, you let me know how that works out for you, Chief. Uh... Hey, I watched Spoonie's review too. Apparently, all I have to do is get Army of One for Lightning, and spam it. 
do we do we do we consider the the XCOM series uh, RPG? Yeah, we do. We have it on the recent release so. schedule here. Um, so I don't think we got a review on that one. Probably someone's playing that one to completion as well. You can take a walk because that one's a tough game. Uh, another one you want to get reviews for XCOM from people who've actually have played through at least once, if not a couple of times, because uh, uh, there's some interesting. There's two different lines of thoughts on that game. Some some of the split I'm seeing is based on people who just played uh, played it for a half dozen or so hours versus those who've sat there and spent the time on it. So know your reviewers, boys and girls. Interesting how the uh, reviews are falling on that. Had a long conversation with my brother. But anyways, uh, we thank you for. Is there anything else I'm forgetting, Mike? Uh, the I don't think so. Oh, the there was the RPG cast for Game of the Year stuff. Game that's of the little, Year. That's a little more recent than we usually go. That's right. But for more recent stuff, now we got a slew of podcasts. We always plug this. We got to because it's awesome. We got a slew of podcasts over at rpgamer.com. Of course, RPG Backtrack is your retro discussion. But if you want the more recent news, including uh, our staff's favorite RPGs of 2015, you'll want to head over to RPG Cast. Uh, we've also got the Active Topical Bouncer, where we do a roundtable discussion. We got Q&A Quest, where we answer your questions. And last but not least, we got uh, Dialogue Trees. What's Dialogue Trees again? Is that the theme? Uh, thematic one or I think that's I think that is the thematic one ah yeah whichever but anyways lots of podcasts for role-playing games so head on over to rpgamer.com let's find the left side there's a big old podcast section right there it's easy enough to find this stuff on iTunes we got a little iTunes button as well that you can click on and that opens up iTunes stuff full for well that opens up wait a minute we hit the iTunes buttons it opens up RPG cast should open up RPG backtrack okay anyways yeah because we're better we're awesome that's true we got a space between RPG and back. Anywho, uh, just remind you that RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, your homes for uh, your home for news, reviews, etc., etc. Uh, head on over to the website, follow us at twitter.com forward slash RPGamer, facebook.com forward slash RPGamer. You can become our biggest fans. Uh, like I mentioned before, you can shoot us off at email. I'm JT Servant at CyberlightComics.com. Mr. Minky is Albert Odyssey at Hotmail.com. Um, and his Twitter handle is at Jumaysyn, J-U-M-E-S-Y-N. And, of course, I am at JC Servant. So feel free to hit us up, chit-chat with us, shoot us off an email, and much, much more. And uh, we'll see you in a bit. Mr. Minky, do you have anything to put us to bed with? I think that one possible way of ending this podcast in the quest for glory vein would be to just uh, pull the plug. Mm-hmm.